This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Ross with Longley Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. This is episode 187 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Pomedicus Exotics. As I'm always, Bratz with Longley Fraptilia. There he is. Uh, this episode is brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out Facebook, Instagram. Um, go on the website, use code THN to check out, get a little bit saved off your order. Uh, racks are really nice. Cages are really nice. You won't be disappointed no matter what you get. No, uh, and then you need to roll on over to stevesnakesuary.com and get yourself the whole set of Venom hot sauce. It is delicious. The cottonmouth sauce, once again, our favorite. Uh, I was telling Katie the other day, I was like, we were, we, we were making tacos or something. I was like, I, I wish I had a bottle of that. Like, I need to go, I need to bite the bullet and just grab some. Yep. I'm not even a big hot sauce guy, but that stuff is I am. I'm gonna have to try some of that. Dude, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's great, man. We tried we did a video years ago, like almost not when we first started, but many moons ago when Steve became our sponsor. Years. Yeah. And we tried every hot sauce he's got. And uh Dang. it's good stuff. I'm not a big hot sauce guy either, but his his stuff was really good. Yeah, but so, we use the horrible Pizza Hut boneless wings. Yeah, that wasn't my idea, but it wasn't. I don't remember what possessed us to go with those, but I feel like we could have done better. There, there is no us in that. You were just like, we're gonna try it with these wings. You know, no, like, you know what it was okay. is I, I was working, and the closest thing I could find that would have those that I wouldn't have to wait for a hot minute was Pizza Hut because it was right next to work. So I was like, I'll just grab some of those, we'll get it done. Like, we have something. I figured that would be the best for, like, an honest, yeah, for, like, an honest interpretation. But looking back, I think Chick-fil-A nuggets would have been a much better. (laughs) I don't know. Those also might might throw off the palate a little bit because they got, like, the pickle sort of flavor to them. And I don't know. Steve needs to text me and tell me what the best thing to get an honest flavor of hot sauce is i'm assuming it's something that has no flavor like a saltine or something but yeah i don't know or he probably just gonna say stick a straw in the bottle and drink it but nothing wrong with that either. I, got I, got cri- I got a crisp i got a crisp dollar bill if somebody sends me a video of them drinking a whole bottle of steve snakes for hot sauce single dollar yeah just crisp <laughs> oh <laughs> Got a crisp dollar bill. Okay. One single dollar hair. Yep. That's it. I don't think that's really incentive enough. If you made it like a 20, maybe we could talk. But... <laughs> okay. I'll make it 20 if you do it. Just for you, Smitty. I'll give you 20 bucks if you check a whole bottle. I don't know if I could. No, I don't think you could either. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> that might maybe we might have to we might, we might have to figure something out. I might try it. I don't know. Um, but here we are. 
Um, so one of our most popular episodes of all time in the five years we've been doing this now is Connor's first episode he did with us, which I love because you always think it's going to be like, you know, bigger names or or like the episodes you always think are going to be kind of the ones that are really going to take Slow off. Up. Yeah. Like it's never those. <laughs> so... Connor's is, is like in the top five, I think. Um, well, heck yeah. If not, if not more than that, um, yeah. or higher than that, but um, we're long overdue. Yeah, to, yeah, to have another another Texas episode, and I know you Texas were just on showdown. Yep, another. Uh, you were on uh, Colubrid and Colubrid Radio a couple like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Yep. Um, yep. Talking about Coach Whips, and I think we're going to get into those a, a pretty good bit tonight. Um, but I'm super curious about your hips to Glenna because I think I might be your biggest fan on the night snake front. Dude, those are so nice. Those are like so freaking cool. Like I Very loved cool. finding those in Texas Yeah. when we were there. Um, you know, you've got rubber boas, which I, I really, I want to probably touch on a little bit and okay. um, some other just really cool stuff. So, um, but we're joined by, as I said, Connor Wardle and then William Huntsman, um, are you you're in the same area as Carnal Connor? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I live in Eastern Kentucky, actually. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. For some reason, I thought you were a transplant from Kentucky to Texas, but no, uh, just no. a fellow uh, fellow mass <laughs> enthusiast. There, you know, Facebook does yes. miracles. <laughs> we oh, both yeah, love the whip. That's right. The whip snake that is whipped by the whip. You could say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I do a lot for them. <laughs> That's what they used to believe back in the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still hear that. I've had some people tell me, like, have you ever seen the snake that rolls up in a hoop and you know, <laughs> chases you? And it's like, rolls really? Away. Like, what year is it? Yeah. <laughs> what year is it? Like, good Lord. I've had some people say, uh, they spit venom. They're like a cobra, and I'm like, oh, okay. They sting you with their tail. Those those copperheads, you know. Yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that one too, and I'm like, no. Good lord. Yeah. Now I heard one the other day. The baby, like, if they have a green tail, that's a stinger. Huh. Yeah, I gotta watch out, man. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> those, those baby cop mouse and. I mean, you do have to admit that that bright color does make you kind of want to touch it. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I'm gonna. The rule rule of the wild is bright colors mean danger. It's just like when the when the conjos start doing their luring and stuff. I'm like, I really do just want to grab that little worm, but I know exactly what you're gonna do when I do that. There's a price to pay for that grab. There is, dude. I saw a picture. uh, Someone on Facebook posted a video of like a really gnarly conjo bite they got. I don't remember who it was. Dude, I think I saw that. That their hand was like all swollen up. They got absolutely lit up by that conjo. Dang. I've been bit by like my smaller ones. Two-year-old yearlings, whatever, and that that wasn't any fun. So I can't imagine like a really diesel biak. Yeah, that would pass. Nah, pass on that. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so we've had Connor on previously, like I said. Um, 
Connor, if you want to do sort of the Cliff Notes version introduction again, if you want. If not, no big deal. Uh, and then William, you know, your background in, in reptiles. Once again, it can be the long version. It can be the short version. We leave it up to you. So Cool. All right. Yeah, I'll go ahead and do a little uh, express whatever track or whatnot Cliff Notes there. Uh, so um, my name's Connor. I uh, started off uh, with reptiles through the Reptile Study Merit Badge uh, and growing up in Boy Scouts. Started off with the Chinese Water Dragon, you know, your perfect first entry-level reptile there. Uh, terrible yeah. decision. Uh, but the pet smart people, you know, they know everything. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, started off with that, didn't go super great. Got into leopard geckos re very briefly. Uh, and then from there, I got a job working for a Boy Scout Center uh, where uh, we had the... Uh, Probably one of the larger uh, Lampropeltus and Pantherophus collections in the country. Uh, we had every native U.S. species of Lampropeltus and Pantherophus uh, cool. focusing on locality animals. Uh, of course, there were some oddballs, you know, the Pituophus, uh, Thamnophus, some uh, Mascophus stuff that was really awesome. Uh, and then I caught my first coach hoop in 2017. Uh, it ate well for me, so I just decided to continue keeping them and see what I could do with them. Uh, kind of helping change people's opinions of them in captivity. Uh, and then I kind of have settled into my niche uh, of uh, kind of southwestern U.S. herps. Like I said, working with uh, your mascophis, your hypsoglima, your night snakes, things like that. Uh, I've got glossy snakes now as well as uh, some other rods and ends, which we can talk about later. So, yeah, that's me. William? I started with, of all things, the common corn snake. Hell yeah. Yeah, the common corn Hell snake. Hell yeah, brother. But then I just, my interest changed and I had heard about the coach whip. I think I was reading about them in a guide and I was like, wow, that is a really cool snake. So I did more research, more research, and I ended up seeing one in the wild. And then I was hooked. I was like, man, I want everything to do with this species and this genus. So I just focused not exclusively, but mostly on them and um, desert Southwest stuff. I've always really loved that. And I used to do talks at one of the local nature centers in, in uh, it was, uh, Pueblo, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I used to do nature talks there, educate the public about the native reptiles. And so that's kind of my background with reptiles. I've, I've, I've been keeping them since early 2000s. And what's yeah, your collection looking like currently? Uh, currently, it's mostly I have... A couple westerns. I have a Pisces, which is a red coach whip. Um, I keep a few members of the genus Samophis. They're an African sand racer. They're a mildly venomous. Yeah, uh, we were just talking about that that genus on snakes and stogies on Monday. Oh, that genus it's is absolutely it's really cool. I have nothing. I I have nothing but positive things uh, to say about them. And even though they're mildly venomous, I've I've never seen any sign of aggression from one. Mm -hmm. So I've I've absolutely fallen in love with them. Um, every single one I've had has been great. So I've really focused a lot on them and also also Western milk snakes. Nice. So kind of gentilis mm -hmm. in there. So yeah, that's basically how my does focus. the how does the Sam Nofis overall like compare to coach whips in terms of behavior and keeping and they're very similar i i think their metabolisms are a little bit slower they're not quite as fast i don't think they need to eat quite mm -hmm. as much but they have um the same requirements for high uv 
they need good UV in order to properly thaw, uh, properly thrive and digest their vitamins and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, overall, they're just a great animal to work with. I've never, I've never had any issues with them. I can see them filling very similar niches. You know. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They're a desert species on either side, whether it's Africa or Utah, Arizona. Uh, mm-hmm. They do live in very similar habits, or I mean habitats. And they look similar in a lot of ways, too. Really similar to our American whip snakes with the longitudinal lines and everything. Mm-hmm. But they have highly developed venom glands, you know, so they are a little bit different. But there was a point not that long ago where it seemed like a ton of them were getting imported. I forget which yeah. species exactly, but man, it was like those just super clean stripes mm-hmm. and stuff. It was. I know was a lot tempting. come in from Egypt. Mm-hmm. A lot come in from Egypt. Our uh, buddy Nipper Reed, uh, I don't know if he's keeping them anymore, but he was keeping them, and he said they they were really enjoyable. But you know, they're stupid fast. They can. You need a lot yeah, of space. they're like coach whips. They're always exploring. You know, they're not just sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, curled up in a ball. I mean, sometimes they are, but usually they're out exploring. They're climbing on something. You know, they're looking around. If you're doing something, they might be watching you. Like they're just interactive animals. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I noticed with also the Sam Mofus is that they're similar to the American racers in that sense. Have either of you kept any of the racer species, like buttermilks or anything like that? Almost every single one except the tan racer. That's the only subspecies of American racers that I haven't kept. Um, I've kept the buttermilks. Those are freaking awesome. Every time I see a picture of a buttermilk, man, that is such a cool Dude, they are awesome. They really are, and they fare well in captivity. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I've I've gathered from from what I've seen and read. you know, we have the the blacks here everywhere, and I don't know. Oh, I've never okay. kept them. I know people have, but to me, like knowing how high strung they are, I just don't see them doing very well in captivity overall. Yeah, um, they yeah yeah they're very high strung. I've uh I've kept the the southern blacks. I had an Everglades uh, racer for a little bit, uh, and then um, I had a a buttermilk racer that came in for I had it for about a week, and then I uh, it was. I bought it as a gift for somebody, uh, one of my friends uh, in Southern California that kind of helps me out with getting some of my more niche stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the black racers, they're great. You just got to have proper, like, I don't want to say, you know, the, the, the word like clutter, you know, that everybody thinks that corn snakes need X and Y, you know, uh, <laughs> but definitely, definitely more um, uh, just kind of almost like shrubbery you know that way there's a lot like of a visual physical, barriers physical barrier uh not yeah. like that of course you know that hides and things like that you know but like a physical barrier that you can still kind of see through you know like, like right. some dry grass or like a i don't know i cut down a, a dead kind of like sapling tree you know and just threw it in one of my whip snake cages and um yeah just like a physical barrier like that where you can still see them they can still come out and bask you know but there's like something that's like oh i can't just reach my hand in there and just grab you in this right. space, you know mm-hmm. so. So how have the black racers done for you, Connor? Because I know I, I remember when you got you got one and I commented on it. I was like, hey, let me know how this does, you know, because I've always been curious about keeping those. Like, I'm probably one of the only people that actually actively tries to catch black racers when I see them. Um, that is I, 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 love the, I, 
I love I love the species. I think they're awesome. A lot of people just see them and see them on, but uh, yeah. So, so I am curious how how those have done for you. Do you still have them? Uh, I don't. So the one the one that I had most recently, um, I was I. The way that I deal with wild caught animals now is different than I used to. Uh, I mm-hmm. used to get them in, you know, I'd wet and I'd start medicating them as they're settling in, you know. Um, but I've kind of changed that protocol to get them feeding, you know, get them established, you know, send a fecal in before we just start putting panicure and things yeah. like that, you know. Um, so it, it did end up passing, and I believe that's due to just a little bit too um, uh, the, the, the medication uh, yeah. practice there. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I, I don't really medicate things anymore as long as their fecals are good. And, if, I mean, they're, they're going to have natural parasites in the wild anyway. You know, they're going to live a, yeah. a decent life, you know. Um, so it's, it's I don't want to say that it's 100% okay for them to have some of that stuff, you know. But the, 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 the more mild things, it's, I'm okay with letting them kind of hang yeah. out with that in their, 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 their system and things like that. But as far as feeding goes, I mean – you, you just gotta it's just like what i was talking about with coach whips a, a while back um, but i mean just, you, you get them taking some type of small lizard or something like that then you transition them to the tong feeding and then you can once they get off feeding off tongs you know and they associate the tongs in your hand with food you know they're pretty easy with uh scented rodents things like that um, but obviously with the racers you want to do kind of smaller uh smaller right. prey items they're not like a big uh, small mouse that's full of a bunch of hair you know like I don't, I don't think that they do super great with digesting hair either. You know, not that, not that they need hairless rodents like Nerodia might, you know. Yeah, uh, definitely. But kind of on the smaller end there. And then, I mean, uh, lizards as well, you know, and reptilinks are out there. You know, you could, I haven't tried those personally, um, but those are also an option. And there are people that have produced black racers. There's a, uh, uh, there's a, a group of people working with your, your, your Mascopus and your Colubra. Uh, your North American whip snakes, uh, coach whips, and then your racers as well over in Europe. You know, they're having awesome success producing them year after year. You know, uh, it's just really, really neat to see over there. Uh, I, I would wonder how well they would do on something like frog legs because multiple times I have found them around ponds chasing yeah. frogs. Actually, my first snake of 23. <laughs> was from a couple weeks ago and it was a black racer i was doing an inspection on a a new construction site and i heard a because kind of like you know and i look over and this black racer's got a frog in its mouth um it was a big animal you know eating an average sized leopard frog you know so i just kind of sat there and watched it for a minute it completely paused as soon as it saw me didn't move you know and yeah um, but that's the second time I've found black races around that. The first time I heard a bunch of frogs freaking out and I was like, I'm going to go see what that was, you know, and I see a black racer just going nuts all through this little tiny pond area. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I would almost wonder if they wouldn't go for something like bullfrog legs and oh, you know yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But actually as, um, as hatchlings, uh, I mean, small invertebrate prey, like, I mean, even, like I, oh, yeah. I kept a even a it was like a average size Everglades or not Everglades excuse me uh, yellow belly racer for a bit it it would only eat grasshoppers so I had to go catch myself you know mm-hmm. really uh, which is kind of neat and buttermilks are yeah. similar from what I've heard as well with the yeah. beetle yeah yeah but that's why I, I would assume a lot of these aren't more popular in the hobby 
because they got the, oh, the yeah. beautiful colorations and stuff like that, you know, but not everything is going to do good on a 100% rodent diet and people got to be okay with that. Yeah. So that was going to be my follow-up question. What is your source for lizards? Because I know you obviously have a lot of snakes that need, you know, a lizard diet. How, how do you, or, you know, both of you, how do you go about acquiring them? Um, so for me personally, uh, I, I source anoles through above ground exotics. You can find him on Facebook. Um, uh, great guy, easy to work with. Um, I think his anole prices are, don't quote me on this, but last time I ordered, uh, they were a dollar 50 each, uh, super, uh, I mean, as far as anoles go, I mean, it's, you, you buy them for that price or you go to PetSmart and you buy them seven bucks each, you know, right. so that, that, that's, that's a lot better there, easier, uh, on the budget there. Uh, and then for the the larger um, the larger snakes, like I've got a, a red pisces, one of the uh, red racers, my, my, my female there uh, from the La Paz area. She she only eats lizards as of right now, uh, so I'll have him collect curly tail lizards for me as well. And she eats adult curly tail lizards. Uh, so I'm working this year to try and get her on scented uh, rodents there, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Do you get them live and then freeze them or do you feed live or do they get sent frozen or like what's the process for that? So for the curly tail lizards, uh, she only eats live as of right now. So it's still kind of working through the steps there. You know, you got to get them on frozen pod from there, you know. Um, but as far as the anoles go, I mean, I've got the option to get them frozen thawed, but I mean, I, okay. I, I'm just sending them in one, one shipment, you know, so I'm just... Uh, I, I take them in live uh, because they're oh, okay. different with the curly tails, you know. So gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. William, do you have a source for feeder lizards that you prefer? I don't do need them thing? too often, but I'll be getting them from the same place that he does. Um, but I, I will, I will acquire some that might come on the property or something. But the important thing that I want to say about feeding, if you were to catch a lizard, obviously you want to make sure that it's legal to do that. Yeah. But it's important that it's put in the freezer because if something is caught from the wild, it could contain parasites. So if I'm going to feed one to one of my whip snakes, then I want to make sure that I put it in the freezer for at least a couple of days. So that parasite is eliminated and I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, I was going to say, there's also like a period that they need to be frozen. It's not like leave them in there for a yeah. day, pull it out the next, right. and yeah. you're done. Yeah. You know, there's got to be a, a sitting period. You know, it's the same yeah. way for with most, fish. Yeah. For most domestic parasites, usually within, I don't know, three to four days. But when you get some of the parasites from Asia and Africa, they are very resistant to even freezes. So... They uh, may require even more than that. So that was a good point. Yeah. I had the same deal with fish. I was talking to uh, Chris Montross and I went and like kind of cast netted some baby brim out of my dad's old pond and um, put them in frozen. And I was like, hey, I can feed these in a couple of days, right? He's like, no. He's like, leave those things like frozen for like a minute. You know, because I think fish parasites are kind of the same way. They can put yeah. up with freezes for a while, so you got to leave them in there. I mean, they kind of have to right. by design. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. now I get frozen tilapia fillets from my water snakes, <laughs> and they love those. I still haven't tried tilapia with anything. Do my Nerodia go nuts for them. Like, just I put down, 
I try to give each one of them like one or two mice just to kind of get the bones and the gut contents, you know, and then it's just a bunch of chopped up tilapia. Some of them eat off plates, some of them eat off tongs. And, you know, I've kind of learned all of my groups, you know, one group, I just put down a plate of chopped up pinks and tilapia and they just go freaking nuts. Um, <laughs> but hmm. you obscure guys need to start working with some Nerodia, man. Oh, I Come love Nerodia. Come on I absolutely now. love Nerodia. I always they're, have. They're a pleasure to work with, man. Tell Even you, though they're nasty and... Once oh yeah, past that musky stage, uh, they're actually really great animals. Yeah, no, mine. I have a group right now that's actually very. I don't like to use the word in interactive because that yeah. contain that um, refers to you know domesticated. I don't really consider any right. snakes you know domestic animals, no. um, but very inquisitive, very fun. Anytime I open the cage, they're all you know head bobbing up. Yes, I was looking for food, but I could reach my hand right in there and pick them up. I don't trust any of my carpet pythons just reaching the cage, you yeah. know, but <laughs> as far as Nerodia, pretty much all of them, you know, that aren't defensive, they know my hand isn't food and I can reach right in and grab them most of the time, unless there's food in the room, then it's, it's a no go, but no, they're they're They've been extremely fun. Definitely taking, definitely taking some getting used to. They're different than anything mm-hmm. else I keep. But they're uh, now that I've kind of dialed it in, it's they've been they've been a pleasure to work with. They're fun. Next, I want some stuff from your neck of the woods, Connor. I want some diamondback waters. Yeah, well, we, we we can make that happen. Collect the whole set. Yeah, yeah, would, yeah, definitely. I would love diamondbacks, man. I caught my biggest Nerodia. I caught in Corpus Christi when I was living out there. And this was a diamondback water, dude. I shit you not. This thing was five foot long. Wow. I, I believe I have, a, I have a picture. I'm like fully, you know, I'm like five, yeah. nine, five, ten. I'm like fully stretched out with this thing all the way across. It was just massive. Awesome. I fell in the water grabbing it. And I It was laying on a log and I didn't realize how big it was. But I grabbed her by the tail she was dumping off this log and I pulled her up and she was almost as long as I was. And I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> it awesome. was insane, man. It was the coolest thing. Thing, This yeah. head was almost as big as my fist, dude. It was, well, if they're, you, such, uh, they're such impressive animals. Yeah, yeah. If um, So there's a little bit more obscure species of Nerodia. Uh, the Chancho water snake, Nerodia pacumulata or something like that. Uh, they used to be on the state protected list, um, but for whatever reason, they've been taken off. And I've inquired with Texas Park and Wildlife on um, like three or four different occasions, and they're not protected at all uh, anymore. Uh, so my goal, um, if I can make things line up with my insane schedule, you know, yeah. uh, I would like to spend some time in their habitat, try and collect a few, I don't know. Uh, and then get them uh, out of the state to people that cannot have to worry about maybe a potential change with yeah, right. Uh, I think that'd be really cool uh, to yeah. see them in the hobby because I mean they're they're a smaller, more narrow-headed Nerodia species. They're kind of brown, um, not super. I mean they they do have some patterning to them, kind of. Um, but they almost uh, look like a Natrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you Google them, yeah, they're, they're, they look like the, the Natrix Mara. I forget which that 
what species that one is. Mm-hmm. But that's they're, yeah, they're exactly that species. So yeah. they, they are they kind of similar to like a mangrove or a Clark eye? Um, they're on the smaller side, like when like I got them. Like as far as size goes, you know, because Clark eye yeah. can be, you know, an adult male. Montrose sent me pictures of breeding males that are like freaking nine inches long, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't actually seen. I haven't seen them in part in person. Um, but from the photos and stuff that I've seen and people posting pictures of them, like in hand and things like that, right. I, I would say similar size there to yeah. uh, uh, Clarky or something like that. So. Yeah, that's awesome, man. No, I, that that would be really cool. The only I'm kind of paranoid about, and again, this is just me personally because I just I don't know them as well. Acclimating, you know, talking to Chris about acclimating wild caught waters. Right, it's different than acclimating, you know, and then they have taken care of the parasite load because water snakes filled filled with parasites. Yeah, you know, because of all the different crap they eat, you know, and getting rid of those safely and properly can be very, very difficult, you know. So I think if you did something like that, find some really young ones, you know, Mm -hmm. that haven't spent their entire lives in the swamps, you know. Yeah go about it like that that would be awesome man but enough Nerodia rant let's get a let's get to some uh some coach whips so you know between the two you guys let's talk about some some care some different aspects to keeping them and you know some advice that y'all would give people and are we talking like westerns like have either of you ever had easterns yeah i've had easterns yeah, and I guess you kind of include that compared like, to westerns. Yeah. Uh, well, the thing that I've noticed between the two is that easterns are a little more aggressive. I've had some individuals that never really seem to calm down per se. A few individuals that might refuse food a little more often than testaceus, the western coach whip. So I think that the western coach whip is a little bit easier to keep than the eastern is. But with that said, a lot of people have good luck with Easterns, and I have too. But every now and then, you know, you just have a fluke that comes up and, you know, they have issues. So, God, it's, I never, like, I, I see Westerns on classifieds and stuff fairly regularly, mm-hmm. but I don't, and maybe mm-hmm. I'm also not really actively looking, but I, I haven't seen nearly as many Easterns over the years. Yeah. And they're all like fresh wild caught. I've like, never even seen know, a wild eastern, so like, I've never seen never come one across either, one. You know, but like my thing is like I absolutely love coach whips. They've been a bucket list herping species of mine for years now. You know, you kind of get got you kind of got to go to the sand hills to find them a little easier, at least in my mm-hmm. state. Um, I know we can get them in Beaufort. I think you got to go northern Beaufort a little bit more, but it is harder to find them. I've never seen one, but I absolutely love the species. And I'm also kind of like you guys, where I like to keep things kind of like in my area. Obviously, I keep carbon pythons and barons racers, but like I love, I love yellow rats, you know, stuff from South Carolina, stuff from Florida, that Southeastern region of things, you know, I, I love those. So if I were to ever get coach whips, like I would really, really love to get Easterns. But again, hard to come by you know especially anything long-term captive or captive bred at that for god's sake right next yeah, possible. Pretty, pretty much i just i've said this before but i just check fauna morph market king snake and then all the facebook groups like 
literally I start my day off doing that every single morning. <laughs> uh, make sure that I don't miss anything because uh, I don't really have a life, I guess. But whatever, I like snacks. That's so okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, so that's how you come across stuff like that. I know uh, Matthew Dove, actually, if you're familiar with him. Yeah, uh, I, he, I know him well. Yeah, he used to have uh, some, or he used to have a pair of Eastern Coast trips. I think he's down to just one now. Uh, there's been a handful of people I know that have produced Eastern Coast trips before. Uh, not sure if they're still doing it. You know, it's it's kind of been like, yes, I produced these. You know, on to the next thing uh, with, with some of these people, unfortunately. Um, but it'd be really awesome to see people producing Eastern Coast trips into like the F2s or F3s if we ever get there. You know, uh, they just they require a lot of work to get started off. So. Uh, but, yeah, but that's also that's why yeah. like we need somebody to really do it, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I would love to do it. I would love to be the person to really run that off because like that's how everything starts. Yeah. You know, definitely. everything's hard as hell when it's wild caught, your friends yeah. getting it established, like and it's gonna be no different, if not worse, with something like a coach wig, you know. Right. But you get that thing three generations, four generations deep. Mm-hmm. You never know. That thing could be even pinkies out of the egg. You know, yeah. maybe pinky yeah. parts because they're small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely not scaleless. But uh, <laughs> no, man, I would, I would love, I would love to see that. You know, because I think, in my opinion, Eastern Coach Whips are one of the most beautiful snakes on the planet. You know, I find them just absolutely gorgeous, from that black to tan fading to even mm-hmm. some of them being just jet black. They're yeah, but have you ever kept a normal ball python? Yes, <laughs> I have one. Thanks to somebody in this group you, that isn't you, Connor. Or you're going to sit there with a straight face and tell me Spurgeon isn't prettier than the Eastern Coach Whip? No. You're no, out of he's mind. not. I'm not out of my mind. He yeah. chills. I still got him, but if I could trade Spurgeon for Eastern Coach Whip, even you, a lot hot one, damn, I would do you're gonna, it. Damn, you're going to sell out my boy like I that? I respect that decision. That's a good decision. <laughs> I would give away... He was would, a gift. I the would gift give that away, keeps on giving. Yes, I would give away... Yeah, the gift that eats a jumbo mouse every two weeks. That's too Thanks. much. <laughs> That's too much. If I don't, he flips his water dish and gets pissy. Well, then... Okay, it's not... It, I don't have a choice. I, don't have I was going to say I take his water bowl away, but you can't do that. Yeah, yeah no, he, it's it's annoying. He he, no, I would give him My... away. Like <laughs> the second I have the chance. Sounds like you need yourself a coach whip, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of kind of going back to I guess care there for coach whips. Yeah. Uh, feel free to add on anything, William. If you, if you see anything that I'm saying it's different from what you do. I mean, I'm open oh, to whatever. Good, um, but, I mean, so as far as adults go, I try and provide as large of enclosures that I can. Uh, usually I just scroll through, you know, as I'm going through Facebook and stuff like that, I'll check Facebook Marketplace and find just large uh, aquariums that I can find. Uh, those have, have uh, worked out pretty well. Uh, as far as the largest cage that I've got, it's like 150 gallons. Um, that I've got for, for one uh, individual. Um, but, I mean, it, it kind of fills up space, you know, so you're kind of limited there. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, definitely if they need lighting. You know, we, we, we talked about that with the spasmosis and how it's kind of similar to the mascopus there. Um, UVB, uh, I, I would recommend that uh, just because you're trying to simulate as, as much as you can to, um, I guess, what they experience outside. You know, not, not saying that I 
keep them in like bioactive whatever setups, you know. But I think lighting is important for them. Uh, but UV I, I, on that on that regard, I mean, if you're choosing UV for for coach whips, mm-hmm. especially I guess westerns in particular, like you're not going to go with like a shade dweller or something. Like you're going to go for something right. a little stronger. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going for I guess the the, the desert or yeah, the uh, desert. whatever the the, the Zilla box says with all that sun in a bulb. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, the nuclear explosion right. in the sky edition. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I provide uh, just one of those UVB bulbs in, in, in one, one side with a nice heat bulb there and things like that. And then provide, like I said uh, before, with the, the talking about the racers, you know, having the, those nice kind of visual barriers there provides some nice basking opportunity as well. You know, they can get as close as they can to the, to the heating element and things like that. I think the, the warmest spot in uh, one of my enclosures is uh, sitting around like, 97 degrees or so uh it's a nice nice warm basking temperature there uh, and then the ambient temperature is like right around uh, like low low 80s there um so they get a good temperature gradient there um and then i i do think that humidity gradients are important as well um a lot a lot of times you'll see coach whips that have kind of almost like the like cracked scale look to them uh, that's from just like, like some really dry uh just dry heat i guess um, I provide uh, what I call like a like a shed box uh, for all my animals. Uh, humid well, yeah, humid hide. Yeah, yeah, humid hide. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for my animals that are off of aspen or that that are, that are on aspen. Excuse me. I've got a few animals that are still on aspen um, that I provide the humid hides for. Um, but everybody else just has like a like a sand topsoil mix. And if I notice them going into blue, I just spray their enclosure down really well. And then just kind of that the humidity that kind of comes from itself gives them a nice full shed uh, where we don't have to worry about crack scales or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so as far I mean, as I've, like, I've been giving my stuff small humid hides for the most part. Um, yeah. And I was I was really surprised at just how much like beards and corns and mm-hmm. deones and stuff would use them. Like I really didn't think that they'd give them much thought, but it's like when they go into a, a shed cycle. Like they hang out in that human hide for like the, a week straight until they, you know, come out of that. And I was just, I was really surprised. I was like, yeah, they'll probably use it here a little bit here and there, but, but they really do use it on a regular basis. Like it was really surprising. Dude, my, yeah. my pituophis live in their human hides. <laughs> like I don't have human hides and everything because I noticed some really didn't need it as much and they didn't use them as much. So I don't have them for a lot of them, but I've noticed with my pituophis. I was having, I wasn't having shedding problems, but I got on one of my northern pines, I got um, an eye cap that was stuck. And for whatever reason, I could not get it off for the life of me. Um, so instead of damaging her eye, I added human hides to everything that was having a slight problem. Because for whatever reason, with some of my pits, I get like a piece of an eye cap. Like I can see it, but it's just like a little line in their eye yeah. and that just bothers the hell out of me but you can't get it off and i don't like rubbing an eye that doesn't have a full eye cap on it um so i added human hides to a lot of my pituophis cages almost all of them now or you know in this case my rack systems um and next shed for that northern specifically it was gone yeah so it's yeah. Hu- human hides go a long way man i've got them in a lot pretty much all my pits now, except for my uh, Jani. The Jani really doesn't need it. If you think about the ground, the deeper you go into the ground, 
the moisture yep. picks up. Yeah. So a lot of these yep. animals, you know, they live in holes in the ground or under debris where there's higher moisture. So that's what especially pitchwolf is. Yeah. And even yeah. coach whips, you would never think that. Oh well, they don't need any humidity, but oh no, actually I... they do require humidity. But that's it is why, good to have like... a, uh, a humidity box, and a lot of times they have been found close to lakes, which I always thought was weird, but. I've seen a few of them close to water. So that's why I think humid hides are so good because if they don't need high humidity, the cage isn't humid. Right. But if they want yeah. it, they can mm -hmm. access it. Yeah. And that that's the biggest difference, you know, especially with a lot of colubrids in general, you know, like mm -hmm. they don't a lot most colubrids, I mean most North American colubrids don't need high humidity in the overall cage. But no. again, most of them will access it if it's there during periods, shed cycles, et cetera, you know, yep. and it's, it's, it's huge. I notice them anytime they go into a shed cycle, all my pits just mm -hmm. dive on into that yeah. human hide. And my black, my black pines, like even at one of them just shed and she's still hanging out in there. <laughs> you know, like it's just a, it's just a good thing to have, you know, for anything. Yeah. It's, a, it's, like a, a massive pet peeve of mine um i mean it, it it happens just because people read their their information from whatever the i i don't know where i'm going with this really but whenever <laughs> i see a post and it's like like it is 35 percent humidity or 40 percent like the desired humidity for the my snake's cage and i'm like man like just the shed it's never the fine, same you know, yeah. like, Tell me it's going to be 35% humidity like all the time it, wherever your ball python comes from. I don't know, man. Um, yeah. But it's just whatever. I, yeah, Splitting I kinda, hairs. Kinda get yeah, but, and, and that's the thing. Like, that's also like I, I'm with you, Connor, big time. You know, like obviously if you're dealing with something like Brazilian rainbows, mm -hmm. different ball game, pretty much needs yeah. to be humid all the time, stuff like that. And white lips needs to be humid a lot, you know. But right. all your stuff – like uh, pretty much all snakes when they go into a shed cycle and they want that humidity they go hide in a humid area you know yeah. so having an area in your enclosure that is humid it doesn't have to be all the time if you notice them going to a shed cycle you notice them going there spray it down that spot stays humid it might raise the enclosure humidity slightly but it's not going to be so much that where it's bad for them, but they can access it for a period. And I, I would go to say as far as 85 to 90% of captive snakes that we keep would benefit from that, you know, because it's just a humid spot for them. It's not the entire cage is humid, you know, like I have very small access holes, literally just big enough for snakes to get into. It doesn't fill up the enclosure, doesn't fog anything out, but that moss stays moist, you know. And but you know just... what you can do, Jake, is you can, when you get a cage from Black Box, you can add one of the new subterranean hides. They have those now? They do. What? So instead of it having a hole in the front, it has a hole on the top. And so, like, if I was going to use that, I'd totally clear out substrate, put it in there, and then mount it up around it. And probably throw some some moss and stuff in there and make right that here. a human hide. This is exactly what I do. So this is one of the tubs that I use. Got a little yep. hole right there. And that's a black pine that shed not too long ago. 
And inside moss of looks it. dry as hell. Well, it probably is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just wetted it. Wet Simplicity it is almost longer. better, though. Yeah, no, it's it's perfect. You know, I get these from your local place. I melt a little hole in there, just big enough for everybody to get in. And they, literally the day I added them, they were, they, it was game on, you know, for them. And then I got some bigger tubs for my other pits. This one in particular has my female, get this thing out, my female albino Florida. This is a tub that stays in a 70 quart and you can kind of see her in there sort of. But she's in a shed cycle. She's about to get paired up with the male. She's buzzing at me now. But she fits in there. She barely fits in there because she's pushing five and a half foot long. Um, but, yeah, stuff like that is perfect. It's simple. It's easy. Melt a hole big enough for them to get in. I think you just Works keep it in that perfectly. tub. Forget the V70. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> screw the enclosure. Let her live in there. She basically <laughs> does. She's been in there ever since her shed cycle. She's been in there for days days and it's same thing with the other my other female fork line gopher from brewster county is also in hers right now so there's something to be said for humidides and i think it's something that a lot of people sleep on and they should so yep i agree with that that's just my two cents but what do i know do you find connor with those bigger setups that you have the the Mastocophis in, are those, like, are they, you have a lot of climbing options and stuff for them? Like, are they taking advantage of, of the vertical space? Yeah, so um, all of my, my, my Pisces will use them. Uh, I used to have a stripe whip snake, which is now with William, and it, it, uh, you used it quite a bit too. Uh, but they'll, they'll, they'll come out of their hide for a bit. Uh, they'll kind of climb around and bask up underneath the light for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say about maybe 30 minutes to an hour or so. Uh, and then they'll kind of just, cruise around their enclosure, you know, if I, if I come in being crazy or whatnot, they'll kind of go run off and hide. Um, but for the most part there, they're out um, either basking on the kind of the ground level or they're up in the, the kind of, I don't want to say canopy, but up in the, the branches and things like that. Right. You're, you're more, your your flagellum, your, uh, your, your co subspecies there. Um, I find them to be a little bit more, uh, almost more terrestrial a little bit, just a bit, you know, um, not compared. I mean, like you're, my uh, my Western coaches that I have, you know, they're all climbing all over, whatever. I see them in the in habitat, you know, climbing up a little bit uh, too uh, as well. Um, but they're just kind of a little bit thicker, thicker, heavier-bodied animals. Uh, so I see them a little bit more on kind of the more ground level there, whereas my whip snakes are a little bit more up in the uh, the, the branches and things like that there, uh, or shrubbery or whatever it is right. in the enclosure there. So yeah, I do. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I've, I've got a, um, an imported species of mascophis from Costa Rica, the mascophis mentivarius. Haven't really posted about it much, uh, just because I've kind of been waiting for it to settle in a bit. Uh, William's seen a few pictures and it's, it's, it's rocking on. So I'm happy to kind of bring that up now. Um, but I mean, it's definitely, that species is more heavy bodied, uh, compared to your North American mascophis. Um, they've been described as more similar in like weight and heft and girthiness to like a, like a Crebo or something like that. Um, but oh, they still wow. have the speed. They still have the speed of a coach whip. Um, this guy, I, I wouldn't say that he's at adult length, but he is quite a large, large animal there. Uh, he is very, very hefty and very thick there. 
I'll post some pictures of him later later in the week. Um, but he's he's doing great, and he wow. seems to be more terrestrial rather. I'll see him kind of come up and periscope up, and kind of take advantage of some of the lighting there. Um, but I haven't seen him actually in the branches that I provided uh, yet. Those look uh, a ton like uh, Malapon. Yeah. That is so actually... I, I would I would be curious with them if you provided so with some of my carpets and even my rat snakes, I provide granite, it doesn't look natural, but I provide these um you know the shelves that they're like plastic shelving units you can get at Walmart, they stack like five high. Mm-hmm. You get them for like forty bucks. You know, a lot of people use them for stacking snake tubs. I get those and I cut the legs down a little bit and I use it as like a platform. For them to bask on versus like a bunch of small things because carpets really prefer shelves and i've noticed rat snakes really like shelves as well you know something to kind of lay flat on i would wonder if coach whips wouldn't benefit from something like that versus you know because if they're a hefty bodied animal they don't the feeling the uncomfortable feeling of half their body laying down isn't that great but being able to lay on a flat surface elevated you know closer to a light i would wonder if they couldn't benefit from something like that i mean yeah it'd be something something cool to try i mean i mean in their habitats you know i mean especially out in like west texas and further further west you know they're, they're kind of or um, like around rock cuts and things like yeah that. like so rock wouldn't, wouldn't flat rocks me. Yeah, um, for them to take advantage of that. I mean, I, it's just something I haven't offered yet. But that's a, that's a good note and something that I can try. Um, yeah, be cool. Something I've it's just something I've noticed with carpets. Carpets, especially, you know, they really like those flat platforms to kind of lay up on. And I've got a big yellow rat that I have one of those in, and he plays on that thing all the time, soaking up UVB. Um, but what you brought up, what I was going to say earlier, what you brought up about like shrubbery type of stuff, I think there's something to be said for like low lying perching options, you know, something to get off the ground slightly, but not like all the way up to the top, completely elevated type of stuff, you know, because I found several snakes that are like, you know, not even a foot off the ground in some type of shrub, you know, well, space I think efficiency. Right, exactly. You know, I think a lot of snakes can take advantage of being slightly off the ground, but not all the way up to the ceiling, you know, type of deal. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for setting up stuff like that, you know, kind of shrubbery yeah. type deal. Yeah, it helps create um, the, a good temperature gradient, too. Multiple yeah. areas where they can kind of hone in, like, exactly where they want to be. They don't have to be right up under the light. You know, they don't have to be on the very bottom, you know, where it's low 80s you know they can kind of pick a kind of in between where, wherever right are the best but exactly yeah that's where i feel like a platform could also kind of come into play have something higher up to where they can lay flat and then maybe have mm-hmm. another level underneath it and just have those different gradients coming down yeah. from it you know i think it could, mm-hmm. be, could be beneficial for them are you limiting like when you have uv on them are you are they getting it you know, for most of the day, or you limit it into a couple hours a day? Like, how do you have that set up? Uh, I don't have a really, like, fancy enough system to kind of limit it, but I just do kind of just your, your standard photo period for summertime, which is, okay. like, I don't know, it's like 14 hours, something like that uh, mm-hmm. right now. Um, so. Yeah. And you do that for UVB or just UV in general? 
Uh, UVB and just their their heat bulb as well. Yeah, uh, okay. That's, that's what I've got. I ask that because I know a lot of people kind of, you know, people. A lot of people who do UVB are more like they give the UVA from the basking bulb, you know, like for you know ten hours a day or whatever. But a lot of people just do the UVB <laughs> for three or four hours a day. So like I know obviously it's different by species. Um, right. So yeah, that's why I, I asked that. You know. Uh, yeah, I'll cut off. Like I have UV on the Jansen eye, and there are some days where I'll just I won't even turn on their UV. Like, you know, they get it same thing. Like I'll turn it on, and they'll have access to it for you know from lights on to lights off. But every now and then, especially if there's like an overcast day or a day that it's raining, I'll usually cut it off just to kind of match up with barometric. Pressures and, and stuff like that. I almost and, think it wouldn't be bad to leave it off for an entire day, just to kind of yeah. simulate a cloudy, rainy day. You know, maybe one day leave kind of everything off, spray them down a little bit. You know, maybe during a shed cycle or whatever, just kind of stimulate that rainy day, cloudy. You know, hideaway kind of day. You know, and I don't know. It'd be yeah. kind of cool to mess around with stuff like that to really try and stimulate natural, you know, behavior. Right. Something I haven't really thought of before, so that's it's neat. Neat. Yeah. Be cool. Um, so with uh, you know, and again, question for both of you. Um, with coach whips are a very they're they're a big snake. They're not a small colubrid, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of Easterns and Westerns can reach up to close to six well, foot <laughs> around around even larger, foot. yeah around six foot plus in length correct oh yeah yeah okay so yeah, there's easterns that have exceeded over eight and a half feet yeah that, i didn't want to say that and be wrong but that's kind of what i know you would not be wrong in saying that yeah i've heard some so, people claim 11 feet but i don't think that that is accurate. that's yeah that's pushing it a little that's bit <laughs> but i got i would believe eight foot all day yeah. you know but being a slender bodied animal for the most part at least most of them are um as far as like enclosure size for something that's pushing six foot, you know, in length, are you going for like a, you know, a lot of people think in PVC cage terms versus aquarium. So I'm going to ask in like gallons or, or I'm going to ask in feet versus gallons. Mm -hmm. Are you looking for something like a four by two for a six foot animal, or are you looking for something like a six by three for a six foot coach whip? Because I know they're very active, they move around a lot. I'm almost positive the bigger the better for something like coach whip, but for an adult, you know, pushing six foot plus, what's the minimum like footage enclosure that y'all would find adequate? The size you mentioned, four the, by yeah, two first size. Yeah, that would be the minimum. Yeah. Okay. That will work for a while. That works really good for like a fresh wild caught individual because sometimes if you just throw them into a huge cage, for some reason it causes more stress. So oh, constantly yeah. going around trying to get out. And if you put them in a little bit smaller cage with a hide, they have to have a hide always. It makes them yeah. feel more secure and they calm down and they're able to focus on their meals and when they have a larger cage, sometimes it's almost like they just—I don't know—they just don't perform as well. I mean, I it's just that. nonstop, you know, kind of stressed out, like looking right. where to go. Right. Yeah, no. But with that yeah. said, you know, they do need to be moved up to a larger cage. You know, six feet is great. I mean, 
I had a cage even larger than that. And actually, I'm hoping to build one in one of my rooms where it's a it's a walk-in enclosure. Where I can walk in, okay. and they have half of the dang room so that they can crawl, climb, you know, whatever they want to do. So, but to get them established at first, I wouldn't just throw them in a massive cage. But that's right. just you know, that's just my opinion on that. Yeah. Overall, what are you using? Like hides, are you more particular with the size of the hides for for coach whips than you would be other stuff? Um, not really. I mean, a five foot coach whip can actually curl up to about like that. Oh yeah, and they're <laughs> quite comfortable like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, for me personally, I I like to use a hide that looks real natural. You know, obviously, I want one. I don't know. I don't know what the measurement would be. I, I always go by feel with these things. You know, I've just kept them for a while. and um, So for me, the first thing I look at is, okay, is this naturalistic? Is it going to look like a rock or a stump or whatever? But um, I would say for an adult five-foot coach, at least a, a foot-long hide, you know? So they have enough room to comfortably curl up. But you could make it even bigger if you wanted to. And then also in addition to the uh, uh, the humidity hide, which is really important. Yeah. It, it doesn't really seem like it would be that important, but it really is no, I, in the grand I, scheme of things. Yeah. I 100% agree. Well, I mean, the only reason I ask is the, the one Eastern coach whip that I've ex- had experience with, which was at the, you know, the nature center I worked at as my very first job. It wasn't a big one. Um, but it had a hide that was like a makeshift. Um, it was a box that had a you know a hole cut in it, like almost like a birdhouse. But it had a lid that had a like a um, a latch on it or something. Yeah, yeah. And it was you know it it lived in that thing. Like I'd see yeah. it for about it was like my Jansen nine. Like I'd see it for about two seconds, and it's usually it was just hanging its head out of that hole. And as soon as you walked in the room, it was gone. Yeah. Um, and anytime I fed it, just offered it food right in that, that hole of the box and then they would grab it and eat it in there. Like, so I just, I was curious if that, you know, if there's been any shift there in terms of preference for something more spacious hide wise, that is more like a, a box in a box kind of thing. Um, I don't really think that they have a huge kind of preference as far as what, I mean, it just, no. whatever provides cover and they can secure themselves you know i think that that's fine i've, I've got some stacked tile that i use with kind of some bricks and things like that yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. kind of nice angular hides like that uh and then in my quarantine setups you know i'm just using just cardboard boxes you know and i keep them on for a bit you know it's it's not nothing you'd want to do long term uh, but i keep very sterile quarantine setups at first right. especially if i buy an animal uh, from a show or something like that, which I don't do hardly ever anymore. Uh, mainly, it's just people that aren't close enough friends to just give me gift me animals, which I'm very fortunate to have that uh, uh, relationship with uh, certain individuals. Um, but yeah, I mean, just wild caught animals don't have mites. Just saying. Well, yeah, yeah, I know, but I, I want to <laughs> monitor the, the, the fecals and things like that. But especially if you yeah. get an expo pickup, you know, you got to always be cautious at, at uh, expos yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, I'm one of those people when it comes to hides and this kind of goes for anything. I kind of go as small as possible because, you know, in my opinion, at least that's, this is what I've noticed with snakes. They love to 
be able to cram. You know, obviously mm-hmm. within reason, you don't want to make it uncomfortable for them. You want to be able to fit their whole bodies in them. But I go as small as humanly possible for the snake to fit in because, you know, in my opinion, I have found snakes literally in stuff that you would never think they could actually fit in. Mm-hmm. But they do it because that's where they feel comfortable. You know, like their comfortability is being crammed up. That's how they feel safe. They feel tight. They feel secure. You know, like, so that that's just me. And I feel like that goes for a lot of things. You know, I feel like Coach Whips could especially benefit from something, you know, being able to, you know, using the word cram is kind of small because, you know, our kind of, some people may take that the wrong way. I don't mean it in a negative way. But if a snake can cram into something and be tight but secure, I feel like it's one of the best routes to go. Dude, I've yeah. had like paper towel tubes with bears that have I use paper put towels themselves in there so hard that I would have to cut them out if I wanted to get yeah. them out. I'd have yes. to get some scissors and cut that snake out of that tube. Yes. And people are going to like that pressure. Not in a big. They're used you know, to that kind of pressure. Huge you know? cages. Exactly. But it's like you know they need bigger enclosures. It's not big enough. And then you're like, you literally see that it probably took it like 30 minutes just to get itself into this tube right like it's not (laughs) i use paper towel rolls religiously because they're small but they're elongated so Mm -hmm. something relatively big can actually fit in a paper towel roll pretty comfortably and dude i my snakes absolutely love paper towel rolls i know it's not naturalistic it's not pretty but i'm looking at fucking 10 of them right now and you know six enclosures up around biodegradable <laughs> you know, it's they're easy they can just throw them out they crap yep. on them and they're, they're i love their towel rolls yeah i think some and of the most like, favored cover in the wild oh i'm sorry go ahead i didn't mean to cut you off no, yeah you're fine yeah go ahead you're fine i was just gonna say i, I think some of their favored cover in the wild anyway is is artificial cover so i'm yeah. sure they're more than happy with that you know I, t- I say that to so many people. I'm glad you brought that up. I'm like, I can't tell you how many snakes I have found in literal trash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just hanging out in plastic. You know, we find them under tin all the time. It's literal garbage. I found and coach whips in the carpet. They love carpet. Yeah. Carpets and coach whips. And also uh, buttermilks and carpet. It's a thing. They just, they love it. Telling you, man, they'll squeeze into anything that's yeah. anything that's tight, you know. And those these, I'm one of those people. I don't like to waste stuff, you mm-hmm. know. So I use something as long as I can, and I go through so many paper towels. It's not even fucking funny. <laughs> so being able to use paper towel rolls is just an extra benefit. Yes, I eventually throw it out when they get soiled, but every roll comes with a free HUD. Exactly, like <laughs> that, dude. I have a stack of them sitting right here you know my i have a water snake in one of my enclosures so i set mine up i put like a wire perch and a lot of my water snake and rat snake enclosures i use like the wire fencing from lowe's and stuff you know it works really well for perches so i set that up and i usually put a paper towel roll on top of it for like an elevated eye i have a water snake that literally lives in that paper towel roll elevated off the ground. She never leaves it. I feed her in that thing every single week. And it's kind of ridiculous, you know, but my snakes absolutely love those paper towel rolls. They're, 
they're fantastic. No, they don't look great. They're not naturalistic, but I'll be damned if the snakes don't absolutely love them. So. What up with the hypsiguana? Well, <laughs> they are right. shit. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> I enjoy them. Um, keeping uh, two species currently. I'd like to expand that into maybe four if I'm lucky enough. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, not really something you really see very often in captivity, so they're kind of hard to source for that. I saw some at yourself. Daytona like the year before last, and someone was selling them for like 30 bucks a piece. Oh, Jesus. And I am kicking myself. That's actually not a terrible price at all. It is not. Yeah. I mean, they were for sure like <laughs> wild caught. You know? Yeah, yeah. They almost like, oh, I was like... I think the only thing that's deterred me, man, is just the the fact that you know the steady supply of of, of lizards. I mean, we have the Mediterranean uh, geckos here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some in my garage here somewhere. I think I've got a colony that's set up shop in my attic. Um, nice. But we have the you know the green anoles everywhere. I don't know how well anolis work compared to other like geckos and yeah yeah stuff. yeah. So. With uh, the Jani and the Torcada, which are the, the Texas night snakes, your, your Jani Texana, uh, that might be an old term, I don't know. Uh, and then the Torcada, your, your desert night snakes, uh, they have all, with the exception of two um, coming back out of hibernation, have been doing great on anoles. Uh, they came to me and I just threw in live anoles, you know, and they, they work great on that. Uh, but these other two, uh, coming out of formation, they have reverted to banded geckos back to their uh, oh, factory settings. Wow, <laughs> man, uh, which... I would have. I uh, so the turkey's geckos are cool, but I don't know if I could, in good conscience, feed coleonics. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> man, <laughs> unfortunately, oh. I had to do that. I had some uh, that I was planning to breed. Uh, to offer like baby gecko tails to some of these hatchlings that I have to see if that would be more favorable to them rather than a, a mouse and they're tail. That small, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I've got one right here that I can show you. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I got two Texas night snakes originally from Eric Lago. E squared exotics. If you're, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. I believe he's in Missouri. Or yeah, I've been like following him for a while. He's got some really cool stuff. Yeah, he does. Um, and Holy then, shit. Yeah, so this is a, a baby from November. Uh, hatched it in November. Very small snake here. Um, I've got two that I'm assist feeding mouth tails to. You get them down about halfway and they eat the rest of the tail there. Uh, doing great. Gaining weight. Um, I don't know if you can really see that at all. Uh, but really small snakes, That's uh, so small. and they're just one of my favorite freaking lizards. I mean, they're, they're what, are you, snakes. what are you keeping those in? So, um, back whenever I was originally purchasing anoles from PetSmart for my feeders for my adults, uh, I just built up a bunch of excess deli cups from them. <laughs> uh, so I just I've got them in these deli cups here. I fold up a paper towel into quarters. Uh, and then that provides some nice uh, kind of like crack hiding for them to kind of uh, get in the, in between the paper towels and kind of wedge themselves there. Yep. And then I've got like one of those small like little hatchling water bowls, you know, like little sauce container things. I've got one of those in there that I fill up about halfway. And that provides enough 
humidity in there for them to have full sheds and to have a healthy water source for the, the week. And then I kind of change those out, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're growing slow. Um, they're, they're getting more length than girth to them, which is, is kind of neat, you know, but they're, they're still having good, uh, body composition, you know, physical appearance, stuff like that. Um, but they're doing great. Uh, and then, uh, let me pull out one of my larger ones. Uh, this girl here, uh, came to me, uh, with, as, with part of a group of three, uh, from another friend. I, I don't know if you guys know Stu Tennyson. Yep. Uh, but uh, he sent uh, well he asked some of the friends that went out uh, herping uh, if they would collect a uh, kind of uh, hypsoglena enthusiast if they, they would collect uh, some hypsoglena for me uh, so I don't have any locality information on this group of three in an effort to save or protect locality sites and stuff like that uh, but here is an adult female Jani Texas night snake uh, this oh, girl has eaten he, she's eaten fuzzies for me in the past uh, and I, I don't I don't feed rodents as a primary diet, uh, but coming out of rumination, it's good to kind of get a little bit of fat on. Yeah, them. yeah. yeah. Uh, I like I like nice leaner animals, so she's still a little chunky for my liking. Um, but I mean, she 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 takes uh, large, large and extra large anoles, and uh, she's doing great. I feed her uh, every like two weeks or so. Uh, I'm just trying to kind of thin her down a little bit, just because she is more like built like mm -hmm. a pit bull right now, you know. So uh, that that's an adult female. This is an adult female Texas night snake. Yeah, I think maybe the biggest <laughs> one we found when we were there was probably close to that. But even then, it, I think yeah. it's bigger than wow. Saw. Yeah, so they can they, they can, can get, get a little bigger, but that's usually right. an old individual. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Wow. Do you guys know Jordan Parrot? Yep. Yeah. So he, I was talking to him at an NARBC expo, uh, the NARBC Arlington last fall about night snakes. So Those. Uh, that's the first time getting to meet him and talk to him in person. Uh, I guess we, we chatted a few times before, but he told me my, that my original male uh, hypo bears came from him. Nice, like three. Nice. Yeah, he's doing a lot of really cool things. Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah, awesome uh, stuff. But yeah, he was telling me that his uh, his baseball coach growing up had a three foot uh, Texas night snake, which is insane, and it ate hoppers, oh, uh, which is which is crazy. I oh, could not imagine a night snake that large, um, but. Um, yeah, uh, they're, 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 they're neat, little secretive nocturnal snakes. Um, going back to the humid hides, you know, I provide those for all my animals. Uh, they are in their humid hide pretty much like the entire day. Uh, and then I'll take them out, or that, that excuse me, sorry, that, they'll come out uh, whenever I'm getting home after work, after my, my night shift in the restaurant industry. And uh, they'll, they'll be just climbing around on their little universal rock backgrounds. Uh, that's it's cool um, getting to see the, 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 the mascopus and other stuff that I get in glossy snakes and stuff uh, during the day as they're kind of going around and then it's cool coming back and seeing something else uh, move yeah. around. Uh, but I've got two desert night snakes here. I'm sure you guys know Adam Roth. Uh, he was uh, nice enough to gift these to me. Uh, they came to me as rodent feeders, and uh, like I said, I, I try not to um, – feed an exclusive rodent diet um but i, I mean is I, that the torcada yeah yeah this is the, the, the torcada here uh this is the largest night snake that i've seen uh in person which i mean i've only seen i haven't been out to west texas yet i plan to go out there this summer um but this this girl is pretty big oh, she's yeah. as long as my forearm uh, you can't really tell in the i guess the the, the video or whatnot but she, she's a beast 
I uh, got you got a nice you know you can kind of tell how snakes have like a big head like the big snakes have like a big head. Uh, I don't know if it's really showing that well or not. It's I'm, I'm blowing you up. Okay, I'm it's not uh, not really showing that great on my iPhone. I apologize. Um, she's she's a nice big. Uh, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a nice wow big one here. I think nice. she's she's like she's definitely over a foot. I haven't measured her like recently, um, but she's like over like the twenty. Or she's, she's approaching the twenty inch mark there, so she's a quite sizable uh, desert night snake here. Uh, they look like Antaresia. I just realized that. <laughs> they do. Yeah, oh so much like Antaresia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, my last desert night snake that I'll show you. I only, I only have two females here. Um, she's got a, a, a more bold patterning, which I really like. Uh, she's from a little bit. She's, she's from Arizona. And she was, like I said, a gift. Uh, it was very important uh, to note that um, you can't buy direct wild-caught animals from Arizona. Um, so, I mean, they, these have been gifts um, from, from people that I do trust. You know, it's, it's important mm -hmm. for me to keep everything that I do legal um, just because I do have a very niche interest and I don't want that taken away from me. Yeah. Um, so every, everything here is kosher. Everything's legal. Um, but, yeah, just really, really beautiful uh, – kind of like a lighter background with a kind of more dark, bold patterning. I'll, I'll text you guys some pictures so you can see really what she looks like. But she's, she's insane um, and just a nice big girl. And I'd love to get a male so that I can pr uh, produce these guys. Um, right now I've got a smaller pair of Texas night snakes that I'm, I've got together currently because there's a, a nice pressure change system going through. So I'm hoping um to get some some eggs or something like that if i'm if i'm lucky enough uh the, the female just did her her prelation or not excuse me sir hair uh, or kind of coming out of hibernation shed mm -hmm. i'm not sure what you would call that you're um uh blanking on the term Post hibernation yeah 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 sure the uh ovulation or something like that shed or something like that i, I think it is i don't know um but i've got them together so hopefully the magic happens but those are my banded gecko feeders uh so i got a beg uh, some people to ship me some expensive feeders yeah yeah i was listening to a corn stars episode actually where chris was talking about um kind of muddling up a, a banded gecko tail in some yeah. frozen water and i plan uh to try that technique uh once once i get some in um, to scent a knolls, which is going to be kind of weird, scenting a lizard with a lizard. But um, that's the, the knolls are the more uh, readily available source for me currently. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's 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 my plan with those. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy keeping them. They are rear fanged, uh, so I mean, if you want to keep them, look at your laws. You know, um, I haven't been bit by any of these. I'm not sure. I'm sure there are there's some record somewhere of somebody getting bit by them, but I'm not sure really what the the effect of that would be um, there. There is a um, forgetting the name. Uh, I I just texted Justin the link of it the other day, uh, but there's someone doing um, venom research on your trimorphodon, your 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 liar snakes, and then your your hypsoglena as well, uh, your your night snakes, things like that. Just seeing if there's any proteins in there that we can use for human medicine. Um, so that 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 was kind of an interesting note there. Yeah, It'd be interesting to see what they find in that venom to see if there's any um any use for it it's just kind of, kind of cool there that's uh, such a good species yeah. if you were if someone wanted to do a setup that was you know mimicking or a recreation of like a cut yeah 
Like that would be such a good species for that because when we were walking cuts and stuff, we'd find them, you know, right at the bottom of the cuts, just following the following the actual base of the cut itself, and like, yeah, finding some old like grasses. To you know, I took pictures of of the cuts and stuff when we were there, so I could, if I ever did do like a natural Baird's natural-ish Baird setup, I could have some some sort of context to sort of try and recreate something. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But those in like something like a small XO, you know, that's like, exactly what I've got going with uh, yeah. one, one of my girls. Um, this is actually the, the first uh, night snack that I ever had or that, that, I, that I kept as uh, in one of those setups. She's right here. I'll get her in like a little travel box, but she's got a more like kind of orangey brown. Mm -hmm. it, this lighting is absolute shit, so you can't really see uh, her colors, but she's she's beautiful. She's one they of my favorites. Really another one from Eric. Do what? So they're really handsome snakes. Like they're not super yeah. black or anything like that. But man, like playing with them when we were there, yeah, they're yeah. Just, it's such a cool little snake, man. Their little eyes and you know, yeah, their whole like facial structure is like so cool. The the yellow with those eyes is just. It's my eye. favorite feature on Hypsiglena is the underside, the ventrals. They have a pearlescence yeah. to them. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've noticed yeah. that, but the next one you get your hands on. Just yeah. hold the belly against the sun, and and it it literally looks like a pearl. I mean, it is incredible. Yeah, I really like that. There was one night someone like like we split up into two groups, and so like Julander and Stone and and Burke, I think went one way, and then me and Phil one another, and Phil came across one or something, and I this was I think when we were in Davis, some gigantic, just huge cut that I mean there wasn't really anything at the base of it in terms of like plants or cover. So I don't know exactly what they were expecting to find, but Phil came across one. He just like plopped into my hand and I just remember sitting there for like 10 or 15 minutes, just watching it, you know, in my yeah. spotlight. And it was the same thing. Like the pearlescence of them is really wild, you know, on that underside. Mm -hmm. um, and watching them kind of uh flat, like spread their jaws out too is really neat. I don't know if that mm -hmm. one did it for you or not, but kind of just that, that kind of more like flattening head, is really neat with that nice diamond shape. Um, and then some of them, uh, like the the more Western ones, it, I, I haven't seen it with my Texas night snakes at all, um, but like your San Diego night snakes, um, they have, uh, they'll, they'll do like a, like a coil up mm -hmm. uh, defense mechanism. That's pretty cool. I've seen some rubber boas do that before as well. Um, but yeah, I really, I really want to try the San Diego's just so I could say I've got to uh, keep it some clobs because their scientific is like clobber. <laughs> Yeah, they're cool. They're, they're a lot smaller compared to these Texas and uh, desert night snakes. Um, but uh, they're, they're know, neat. And they're... Are they eating arthropods at all? Has anybody documented them eating any bugs? I'm sure there are because I'm not sure really what size uh, they would eat. Like what, what size anything that they would eat. I'm, I'm sure they would eat like they might snag some gecko tails. Mm -hmm. um but they're not i i don't see them really um I, I i tried offering some inverts i had some some centipedes that i had collected uh, in november i had some mealworms that i tried just by crushing their head you know and offering that uh, i tried pinhead crickets as well and it's just nothing really mm. um nothing really worked for them so i uh i i just kept them on mouse tails for a bit i'm sure that they would hibernate and they, they might eat um because these guys hatched in November, which is kind of kind of late for things, uh, in, in my opinion. But I mean, things happen in the wild, uh, anyway. 
Uh, looks like we, we lost William. Let me. Yeah, he just messaged the group and said his computer might die. So uh, I'm afeard that's what happened. Smitty, you're going to have to adjust your camera if we stay in the same. No. <laughs> Nobody wants to see your ugly face, anyways. But. Um, Don't look at me. Yeah, so I'm sure they would eat some type of invert, but uh, I'm not really sure. Um, I just I, think I haven't, I, I haven't found anything that works yet. If they do, I would imagine, given the number of like Phonopelma and Centroroides and stuff that that we also saw when we were out there, um, mm -hmm. if maybe that if they do, it's something sort of hyper specific to something like that. That's that's pretty commonly available. There was like maybe it was Eurontinus. There were some other scorpion species that that we saw. Um, and yeah. as small as centroroides are, you know, and how much they, they reproduce, I just I wonder if, if they do eat arthropods, if it's something more specific to, to something like that. Yeah, and I plan on spending some time out there in their habitat uh, this summer. I've got a, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I've got a whole birthday trip planned out there with one of my buddies, Aaron Steele, uh, which I don't know if you guys know him or not, but he keeps like colettes, snakes, eastern coral snakes, oh, Texas coral snakes, awesome stuff. I don't know if you... Uh, Whatever, but anyway, so um, I'm I'm going out there with him uh, this summer, uh, and I'm hoping to uh, see these guys in habitat. Maybe collect a few males because I've only got I've got like 1.3 Texas night snakes, so I'd like to have some diverse lines there. Um, but that yeah, was, definitely, yeah, they definitely were, they were some inverts. probably the most the species we saw the most of. Yeah, some wow. so, Yeah, the uh, it's not hard to come across them. The goal is night snakes, and then probably the one of the more least common things that you'd see out there, the Central Texas whip snakes. You know, I, that that's another another thing that I'd be looking for out there. But I don't really, with with what I've heard, they're 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 more difficult to come across than just about anything else out there. I th I'm trying to think. We saw one species of those. I got to figure out which what it was. So Connor, are you in more like? south or north or east texas like i i call it north central texas so like okay. north texas i think is like the panhandle area but i'm in i'm right. in dfw the dallas fort worth area okay uh, so you're in just, the dallas just area. Okay. north central yeah, that's, that's what i like to call it yeah. yeah yeah okay i didn't go out there much i did go out there i think it was the 2000 i when did i move there i moved in 2000 I moved there in 2016, so I went to the 2016 Arlington show. That was the only time I've been in that area of, mm -hmm. of Texas. I lived in South Texas for, you know, all of six months or so. Cool. Um, yeah. No, cool, man. So we saw uh, Teniatus. Yeah, yeah. So in in West Texas, you've got a kind of an integrated zone uh, between the Taniatis and then the Taniatis Giardi. Um, Giardi is a little bit tall. You saw Giardi? Yes. That is incredible. It's in Madera Canyon. I didn't see it, so I was so dead set on seeing uh, some croats that yeah. I went way ahead of everyone else. And then there was another group that came across this uh Garardi and I think they were fully intending to take it home with them because this group was collecting pretty much everything they found it looked like 
Mm-hmm. Um, but Rob and Dr. Ulander happened to be like, hey, what do you guys got there? And then I think the people kind of got the message that they weren't going to, like, yeah, Stone and, and Doc weren't going to go away. So they ended up kind of just parting ways and they took a bunch of pictures of it. So I didn't actually see it because I at that point I was like, cool. I was, you know, a half a mile up the up the hill at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the pictures they took are awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the more, um, I guess, I don't want to say more patterned, you know, because, I mean, you get Pisces that looks, like, insane throughout its range, you know, and Eastern Tetris look insane as well. Um, but, like, that, in my opinion, that's, like, the 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 snake, I guess, as far as Mascopus goes. I love them so much. I, I had one briefly. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, briefly, sorry. Uh, it had a, a, just something weird happened and it ended up passing. Uh, like, its eye ruptured, and it was, like, it oh, was man. not good. I, I hadn't seen anything like that before. Um, but um, definitely a species that I would love to spend some time with at some point. Um, just the issue is they're just not readily available, so you've got to go go in there in their habitat, you know, and, and get them, uh, of course, legally with your, your um, non-game collection permits and things like that, you know. Um, but that, that's, that's a species that I, in my... My goals of keeping that as a species that I definitely uh, would would like to um, eventually attempt to reproduce, uh, but you know, getting there is gonna be a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's um let's transition to some herping. You know, I assume you know Connor. Um, obviously, wait. I know what you have something else. Either of y'all ever kept Salvador? No. Mm-mm. Oh uh, well, so so I've I've collected I've temporarily kept uh, Texas patch nose snakes uh, at this Boy Scout camp that I was working at for a few years, uh, and we kept them in like the nature lodge for a bit, and then we released them at the end of camp. You know, um, I did have for a little bit a uh, a big bend patch nose uh, snake. Uh, I think that's like Salvadora something hexaplus. Uh, really pretty. Uh, as far as the Salvadora go, that's one of the one of the more look like visually pleasing uh, Salvadora. Um, but I mean, it was one of those that, that that was one of the species that I realized like yeah, not everything eats rodents. Um, I had it feeding on rodents, fine, you know, um, but it just wasn't digesting that well. Uh, and I just was determined to have it just eating rodents because that's what it was sold to me as as a rodent feeder, you know. And it in in the it didn't end up thriving, uh, unfortunately. We came across in Madaria Canyon. That's like on our way back, literally on the same little trail that they took pictures of the Teniatus. Um, we found a, a mountain patch nose, which is the uh, Gramier. Yeah. And like at it. first, I was so excited because I thought it was a Baird's because the pattern of the stripes and stuff. At first, mm-hmm. my thought was like, finally. And then I took a closer look and I was like, wait a second. But that was probably one of my favorite finds that we saw on the entire trip because the blues on this thing were nuts. Yeah. My so I have a story about the only patch nose I've ever caught. I didn't know so when I moved to Texas, I'd never even heard of patch nose snakes, you know. Like I was in the hobby, but I wasn't in in the hobby, you know. I was used to southeastern stuff, you know. I knew everything in the southeast. I did not know western stuff. So I was walking a trail and I saw a snake it was a pretty good sized snake and um i knew it wasn't venomous and it was kind of laying on the side of some brush 
and I ran up to it and this thing went to go dive into the brush and I literally dove like full out header <laughs> into these bushes and I somehow by God's grace I managed to grab it and I pulled it out and this thing was three feet long Connor I'll have to send you some pictures of it um, this thing was all of three foot plus like it was it was wow. big and my first thought because of the stripes and stuff <laughs> I grabbed it and I was all like this is the biggest ribbon snake I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, like it just blew my mind. And then the person I was was like, "Yeah, that's a patch nose." And I was like, "What the hell is a patch nose?" <laughs> like, <laughs> never even heard of that. But like, it was just this massive, just diesel patch nose snake. And I got some cool pictures of it, like in my hands, you know. And it was just an awesome animal. And those are those are such cool snakes, man. That was one of my highlights of my of my time in Texas. I visited I visited Corpus Christi area a lot, and then I lived there for six months. And yeah, that was one of the highlights of my time there was finding that patch nose. Nice, um, really, just really cool snakes. That's awesome. But yeah, I had no idea they could get that big. This thing was. Like I'm telling you, like three foot long, it was it was huge. <laughs> it's just one of those species where at first it doesn't look like much, but the closer you look, the more detail comes out, and it's just yeah. it was a gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. snake. Yeah, no, they're they're really pretty, and I don't know how they vary. You know, like the one I found was basically like kind of tannish yellow with black stripes you know i don't know how they vary from south texas i you know corpus christi is south texas mm -hmm. i don't know how they vary to west texas you know stuff like that but i got some good pictures of it i'll have to dig them up i don't know where they went i had them on my yeah. phone but... you well, actually, them to me. i haven't seen this it's a it's a separate subspecies out there in west texas so okay I mean, you've, got, you've got your eastern patch nose snake or your texas patch nose snake whatever you want to call it that's what you've i got your, your big bends that are out there um so yeah nice yeah now now we can talk about herping yeah so i was gonna ask like some of y'all's herping you know adventures especially when it comes to you know stuff like coach whips and you know what's your what's your what's your method you know me i'm an avid herper at least i try to be in but i'm in the southeast i know that can change when you're in texas so, you know, like, what are some of your methods, favorite finds, bucket list species, you know? Well, I'll go ahead and let uh, William go first, because he's got some better stories than me. But, uh, yeah. Um, your methods for going out and finding them? I'm sorry, you were breaking up on my end. Yeah, like, what are some of your, what are some of your methods for, you know, stuff that you, you know, type of terrain you look for type of you know flip sites that you look for do you actually put stuff out to flip you know like what are your or do you road cruise a lot you know what are kind of some of your methods mm -hmm. that produce the most and like what do you do to produce the most like numbers um well one of the most important things uh when you're looking for coach website is is it depends how you want to see one you want to see one curled up and kind of docile and calm, or do you want to see one going 
you know, five, six plus miles per hour, you know, full speed. So I usually like to go look for coach whips early in the morning. And I look for artificial cover and I'll flip in cool temperatures. And that way, when you flip them, they're perfectly coiled up and they're resting and they're not aggressive. But sometimes you don't always have that option, in which case you have the rope groups. Or you can uh, see them by hiking through the deserts and stuff like that. So, so basically, my techniques would be artificial cover is the main one. And when artificial cover doesn't work out, when the temperatures are getting a little too hot and they don't want to be under the cover, then I'm, I'm out and about. You know, I'm hiking around. And so, nice. uh, as far yeah. as uh, me in central te- or north central Texas. I spent a lot of time herping in the the Palo Pinto County area. Um, And out there, there's the same Boy Scout camp that I've got access to. I also herp a spot in uh, Mineral Wells, which is actually a spot spot where you can find coaches near a lake, a water source there, which is kind of of neat there that we were talking about earlier. Um, But at all these scout camps, I mean, we we, we use these big wooden pallets as like the, the base of like one of those big canvas tents. So there's all these pallets that are just all over these camps, all over the property, you know, um, and it's like perfect flipping. Uh, so I'll, I'll flip them, like he was saying, like William was saying, in the mornings, usually I see smaller individuals underneath those. Uh, I'll see the kind of the bigger guys when I'm out hiking. Uh, in the, the particular area in Palapinto that I hike, there's a lot of uh, like your juniper trees and uh, cedar trees and stuff like that. Um, and the, there's these little, like, kind of, like, um, holes that kind of just form up underneath, like, these root systems and things like that. Um, so I'll lose a lot of them in those root systems there. Uh, as well as it's cool whenever you're hiking around. There's a lot of um, uh, Texas spiny lizards. I'm forgetting the, the common name, or the uh, scientific name, excuse me. Uh, but uh, I, I, I've seen some coach whips actually chase uh spiny lizards up and down trees you know the, the lizard runs up the tree you know snake goes after it you know all that just kind of cat and mouse you know yeah. super cool seeing that um and even whenever i come across them if i, I find them a lot in like edge habitat uh, where they're kind of like basking on kind of rocks and this kind of like rockier so on like the scout camp in particular that i'm talking about is on like kind of like a like a mesa like a plateau kind of um so they'll be on kind of like this rocky kind of edge habitat and they'll dart up into the 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 uh, juniper and cedar trees which is really neat to see um and then uh, there's kind of like a flatter grass to your portion where i'll see him go into rodent burrows and stuff like that sometimes too uh, we got a really really cool picture of one that's just eyeing me right there coming out of the the, the hole in the ground uh it was a snake that it like i it went like i was chasing it and then it turned around on me and went straight through my legs and like i barely missed the tail there <laughs> uh, it ended up just going right down in this hole and just kind of staring at me for like 30 minutes. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. But yeah. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed. Like, again, I have never found them, but people have found coach whips, at least in like my kind of area. A lot of them have kind of been in fields. You know, mm-hmm. like I watched one guy, it was on actually a local island, Justin. It was Tony Mills from Spring Island. He shot a video and he found a coach whip literally in the middle of a, you know, a field that they planted for like deer hunting, you know, and it was just sitting there. He's walking through this field and he's like, oh, it's a coach whip, you know, and he, this thing's just going through just an open field, you know. So I feel like for the Eastern stuff in our areas, you know, they do like those, those more open 
fields where they can get into, you know, like burrows of rodents and, you yeah. know, what, whatever they can, you know, get to. And also in those, in those areas, I mean, the, it, it's pretty easy to see what's out there, you know, so you'll right. see them come up in periscope up there right uh, at this scout camp they, they've got a lot of those six line race runners which i mean you guys have yeah sure have yeah we do as well you know that's uh, kind of the preferred diet of, of them out there because it's less less work than climbing up a tree going after a spine lizard you know it's another gorgeous uh, lizard. Love little race runners there and uh, just seeing them you know scanning around that's right. makes sense that they're in the, the open field habitat <clears throat> yeah, that would make sense we when we were in um, Lajitas, we were we were driving in uh, Legitus. Yep, Legitus. Uh, Doc <laughs> Dulander, he saw uh, like a really nice pink coach whip, but I think by the time we he managed to go back to where it was, it was long gone. But oh yeah, you know you see the pink ones, and then you see all the rocks in areas like Lajitas that are like that wild pink color. Mm-hmm. You know, it now made complete sense to me why some of them are those like insane colors. <clears throat> um, cause it, I mean, it coiled up, it would have blended right in with, with all those, all those rocks and stuff. Right. And whenever I'm, whenever I'm going, like thinking about it in West Texas, um, if I come across an animal like that, you know, I gotta really calm myself down, um, because I'm, I'd be focused on catching the snake and not worrying about like, what else, you know, I could stumble across a black tail or something like that. You know, I got to be cautious. I'm stumbling through the habitat, you know, trying mm-hmm. to grab a lunge and jump and all this stuff for a, the tail of a coach, yeah. but maybe, you know. But, they yeah, do I recall can't. all that commitment. If you're not ready yeah. to leap, yeah, I'm don't play you, the game. I can't tell you how many times I've, like, fully laid out for – a snake before i can't tell you it's, it's almost sad how many times i've dove headfirst for a black racer you know <laughs> yeah. because you know like i just After cool fat, yeah Nerodia yeah. too man i've taken headers into the freaking water oh yeah me crap those things <laughs> you know and um but you know on the herping side of things what are some of y'all's you know Obviously, you both have found coach whips. I have not been fortunate enough to do that. But every avid herber, herper has a bucket list, you know, of species. What it, what would be, for both of you, what would be your number one find for 23? For our state? Whatever. You know, if you want to go somewhere and find one, you know, if you have, like, a trip planned out that you want to find something, you know, and you have like that number one, you know, like whatever, you know, whatever it is to you, if you have something planned out. I want to see a Kentucky corn snake. I've wanted to see one for a lot of years, and yeah. it's a conceivable target. They're fairly abundant in the Mammoth Cave region, so um, I'm, I'm uh, looking forward to going out there probably middle of next month and nice. see if I can turn one up. Awesome. And there, and it's interesting because we're on the topic of coach whips. There are a few records from that part of central Kentucky, kind of west central Kentucky, for the eastern coach whip. Um, they kind of believed that they were captives that were released, but when I've looked at the records in detail, I mean, some of these records are from the twenties and thirties. Yeah. I mean, in the middle of the likelihood of that happening. So I may do a little searching around there and see what turns up. But. Yeah. 
Gone that would be great. Yeah. Myself, I would love to see one, and it would also be great for the state to have yeah. actually recorded for Kentucky. We'll yeah, see what happens. That would be that'd be fucking awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, personally, you know, out in West Texas, I would love to see a uh, Central Texas whip snake. I don't really think that's going to happen, um, but that will be like the the, the the cherry on top of the trip. Uh, yeah. There. Um, just the, the dream, you know. Um, as far as herp trips that I have planned, really the only big trip I've got is the West Texas Fort Davis trip that I've been talking about a little bit. Um, on that trip, I'm content just what's out there. You know, I mean, I, there's quite the diversity compared to what I've got here in North Central Texas. Not saying that I don't have a good diversity here. You know, I've got awesome, right. awesome stuff that I find here. But it's it's, uh, it's good to have just something else to, to look at, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like, uh, like I said, I do plan on collecting some male Texas night snacks for my stuff. I'd like to come across those, which there shouldn't be an issue there. Uh, it would be amazing to see a bears in habitat. Uh, I don't plan on collecting any birds if I come across them. You know, I've got keeping it kind of a nice small short list of what I plan to collect uh, just because I think over collection is not super great. You know, I don't want to yeah. end up with something that I take from the wild that I don't really enjoy, you know, and have to either send it to somebody else or whatever, you know. Um, I would love to see, we talked about tan racers a little bit. Um, there is uh, a few portions, a few counties in Texas where you can come across uh, the tan racers, which I'd love to see. Uh, and then I've, I've never seen a buttermilk uh, racer either. I've got a friend that flips them pretty regularly, and I'd love to um, go with him and come across them. Um, I, uh, William and I were working on a book uh, going over captive care of uh, Colubra, which Mass Scopus has been lumped with Colubra now because there's taxon, taxonomy is not real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to keep it all, um, I guess, relevant to the uh, the scientific community, uh, as um, PC is whatever we can make it, you know. <laughs> uh, we're calling it Colubra there, so we're we're encompassing all of your North American racers, your North American whip snakes, and coach whips, or your uh, excuse me, sorry, your North American whip snakes, and then all your mascot species that are all your coastal species like the island stuff and all that as well. So captive uh, care of whatever you want to call them is what the book Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that'll be the <laughs> – that, that's the title that we'll land on there. Um, but um, just going through some of the locality, like there's a locality portion there, and just coming across photos, you know, people on INAT, you know, and re reaching out to them asking if we can use the photo for the book or whatnot or animals that I've photographed – or that I've had a friend photograph in my collection and stuff like that. It's really – inspired me to get more time out there in the field. Uh, I've got a really busy schedule, so I'm hoping to take more trips this summer, um, even if they're just in the state, you know. Um, but um, I'm just – got a lot of things that I want to see, but realistically things that I can't see, you know, um, it, it's kind of a short list, but, yeah. I want to come out and see you so bad out there, man, just to go burp with you and see some of the – Texas stuff that you guys find. It yeah. Be, I know you and I talked about it. It was a while ago now, but you shot me a message mm -hmm. like, hey, man, you ever come out my way? Yeah. And ever since yeah, then, so I've for... been talking to my buddy, Harry Claiborne. Yeah. He's like, dude, yeah. we got to go see Connor, man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I would have Get some of those speckled kings. Oh, he wants them bad. He yeah. wants them bad. Well, uh... he, he got one. He got one from you, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that beautiful yellow female uh, that I got from a buddy uh, yeah. down uh, down on um, uh, the Bolivar Peninsula there, which is north of Galveston. Uh, Dude, don't really yep. see any of those really in the hobby, so it's it's yeah. really just that's one of those snakes, you know, that if I if I that's just one of the ones that I regret um, shipping out. But I mean, it went to a good person, you know. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's Harry's, Harry's, Harry's awesome. Harry's top of the top of the line. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he's I, good, I, was, I remember when he was thinking about getting that. You know, <laughs> I'm such I'm a terrible influence. When somebody's like, <laughs> "Hey, man, should I get this?" I'm like, "Yeah, you should." Like, you know, so he's messaging me. He's like, "Man, you know, Connor's got this." available i don't know i'm like dude just get it like what are you doing like don't it's think from about connor. what i have to say yeah. just do it yeah just do it i'm like it's from connor so you know it's going to be a quality animal you know it's going to be healthy it's a beautiful snake you love king snakes like i i told him i was like dude you get that thing we'll make a trip out to texas like i'll go with yeah. you you and i will go and we'll go find you a mate for it I'm like just, just get it i told yeah. him for probably two three weeks i was like dude just get it just buy it, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> finally yeah, yeah. he messaged me and he's like, "Okay, I got it." And I'm like, "Thank you, God." <laughs> yeah. Well, in uh, in September, uh, not sure what you guys are doing, uh, but the the Arlington ARBC Expo is coming through uh, again. Uh, in the in the fall, it's a little bit better show there, uh, and I've been talking to Roy uh, and Armin about coming down uh, and coming to the show, and then we're gonna go look at uh, check out Repulandia as well. Um, which I'm not sure if you guys have heard about Reptilandia. Or yeah. not, but it's one of the few places that really they, they, they display mascophis. So, like I walked in there, I saw a coach trip, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, everybody, stop what you're doing! This, this is insane! <laughs> uh, so cool!" Uh, I texted William some pictures of the, their enclosures. I'll have to forward to you guys as well. But I mean, that place is going to be insane. He had a video the other day of some parviocula locking up. Yeah, yeah. Hell got a, yeah, man. Just some really insane collection there. And um, I hope that I can have half half as good a facility as what they're doing there. Uh, one day. It's going to take a lot of time, but it's it. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Yeah. That restaurant life keeps us busy, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the, <laughs> the, the lead server now and the president of the wine club and all that. So it's uh, oh wow, it's a busy, busy bee. But, yeah. I I tell you, man, I got I work at my restaurant three days a week. One day I serve, one day I cook pizzas, the next day I prep pizzas. I ain't just, eating any food you bring me. It's gonna be <laughs> the best. It's be be the best pizza you ever ate. I can tell you that. What if I want Stromboli? We got that. <laughs> Is there a we secret menu? We ain't got that. So, yeah. <laughs> going back to Hipsaglena real quick. You said you were going to be looking for males, right? Are they sexually dimorphic size wise? Um, not from what I've seen. I haven't really seen enough to be like yes or no. I would expect males to be a little bit smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know why I say that, but I mean. That no, that could, would. I mean, that would make sense. That's natural yeah. for yeah. a lot of species. Like yeah. males are normally smaller, unless you get into like dry mark on and stuff like that. And right. Yeah, but I haven't really. Bit. I haven't spent time. Well, I, technically, I guess I have spent time in their habitat because they've got a pretty eastern range in Texas, as far as the the Texas night snack goes. Like I think the the most eastern 
observation I've heard of Texas Knights Nexus in Tyler, Tyler, Texas, which is, I would consider that East Texas, personally. Uh, but they do range up here in Fort Worth and things like that. I just haven't found them um, pretty, pretty developed up here, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, I, I, uh, I, don't, I just haven't spent enough time with them to really like, observe them, you know. Um, so that's what I'm hoping to catch up on this summer. It wasn't until we talked to Michael Gillen, who's in Canada, that I realized like there's a I forget what species exactly. Maybe it's Torcada, but there's a species of night snake that goes all the way up to Canada. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the desert. Yeah, the desert night snake. Wild, because yeah. I didn't I didn't know that at all. Wow. I was like, the fact that they even went past like North California. Yeah, I was surprised that's... by. So. Have you heard about the one they just recently rediscovered? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, so. so. I think I read about it. Yeah, yeah, on Clarion Island. Yeah. Clarion yeah. Island night snake was found in a little crack in a ravine on that little island. Yeah. It's pretty so incredible. Cool. It survived that long, just hidden. And they had found it before, but they refound it. They thought it was extirpated, but mm -hmm. evidently it's not extirpated. And yeah. conveniently, it shares the island with one of the coolest species of coach whip that yes. I know of. <laughs> the Clarion, the Clarion Island Coach Whip, also known as the Clarion Island Whip Snake, and they are amazing, amazing. How to Google it? It's a uh, Antonia. A whole lot of pictures though. Yeah, Anthony, 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 I. Yeah. If um, if anyone listening to this has any connections to anything on Clarion Island or whatnot. We could sure use some pictures of the Clarion Island whip snake or Clarion Island coach with the Mexico Antonia, uh, just as a reference photo for the the species profile. Uh, just because every single person, there's like four or five people that I know that have been on that island and photographed them, um, but they haven't responded back to my emails asking if I can use photos uh, for the book. Uh, Are they a little, bit, little frustrating? Considerably uh, smaller than a lot of other coach whips. Considerably fatter. <laughs> They're considered to be some of the fattest of the genus. They eat mostly migratory birds on the island, and oh, it contributes shit. to a very fat racer that is also a very oily racer. Mm -hmm. Apparently, old dissections that they did in them, they found that they were a very oily snake and some of the fattest in the genus. So that's their main prey. You know, and like that goes into... I would almost wonder if that goes into coach whips in general. So, like, if you think about bull snakes, you know, and, you know, Pituophis in general, they spend a lot of time in burrows, you know, go for burrows. Mm -hmm. But I would wonder if a lot of coach whip species don't eat a lot of, like, baby ground burrowing birds, you know, like quail. You if they're anything like racers, like I feel that. like they'll eat just about anything they can fit in their gullet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, but that... like Coach Woods specifically, <laughs> you know, yeah, specifically, no, specifically, like I feel like Coach Whips, you know, being a more terrestrial species that will go down into burrows. I wonder if, like, you know, especially Easterns, if quail wouldn't be a good diet for them. I'm sure it would. If they're willing to eat a rabbit, then I'm sure they would. I'm sure they'd down a quail. Oh yeah. Yeah, actually, um, for my, my whip snakes in particular, I, I feed them smaller prey items uh, just because they're, they're like a thinner thinner species. They're, right. they're not as heavy as a flagellum. 
Um, but I, I, I do try to rotate in uh, bird prey, you know, frozen thud quails, stuff like the, the smallest button quail that I can find, you know. Right. Uh, just just to keep a nice lean and trim animal. I'm not obviously I'm not not starving anybody, you know. Right. Just, the one of the biggest issues with keeping mascopes in captivity, in my opinion, is obesity. You know, and that causes yeah. issues for breeding and for egg laying. Um, and then just they're going to be lethargic and they're not going to do what a coach should do, you know. So keeping them kind of nice and trim, it's a good way to be. So uh, diet variation, not just not just rodent prey all the time. Right. I think that goes for pretty much everything in the hobby. You know, I will 100% every day of the week say the biggest problem in this hobby is obesity in snakes. You know, just in general, across the board, I've seen the biggest corn snakes I've seen in my mother freaking life have been in captivity. Just these massively obese corns that eat, you know, jumbo mice or small rats once a week. You mm. know, like I have a yellow rat in here that's pushing six foot and I feed him a jumbo mice every two weeks just because I feel like he's fat. You know, he's huge. <laughs> but even though they get big, they get very big, but, you know, it still just feels like he's just massive you know and it's i think that's by far you know across the board the biggest problem in the industry and then when you have something like coach whips that eat smaller prey items you know it's it's an even bigger problem and it's the same way with pituophis you know like i feed my pituophis small because they digest pituophis have a very fast you know high metabolism so i really try to keep the meals for them you know, I, I feed them frequently. I feed them, feed them once a week because of their high metabolism, but I feed them a couple small meals, mm -hmm. like in one sitting, you know, a six and a half foot pit will get two, you know, jumbo mice, which are smaller than a small rat, you know, I'll feed them two of those in a sitting for the week. And that seems to maintain, you know, really well. Um, but you know, that's, that's me. I also want to start adding in quail to their diet and more just different stuff. Yeah. Um, but Nerd. Shut up. <laughs> you and your fucking rhinos. They're the best. We need to sneak on down to Mexico and get us some of those uh, hipsaglenas. I don't really want to, man. Uh, I don't want to get knifed, okay? I don't want to get knifed. I don't either, but... <laughs> For Sophriakis, <laughs> well, so forget. It might, be, I mean, it might be worth it. Yeah, it might be. It knife might be. Wounds, you can uh, you can heal those people. Get yeah, you can knife knife wounds healed. <laughs> yes, the Baja night snakes are awesome. Oh my god! But if you have not seen a Baja coach whip, particularly like a white or yellow phase, or a Baja um, a Baja California striped racer. Like, man. Baja has all the best stuff. They got the best Mountain Dew. They got the best oh Mountain Dew. Shut up. <laughs> they got the, they got the, the best Hipsiglena. Yeah, that's going to have like an orange-red eye to them, which is neat. They got the mm -hmm. best of the Centacolas, too. Yeah. 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 Wolf Lin eye or whatever. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. they got the best. They got the best Pitchy Opus, too. Oh, yeah. 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 But, Best the Cali Kings. The, the Baja Calis are... There is no better flavor of Mountain Dew than Baja Blast. Yeah. 
I'll die on that hill. Voltage is a close competitor. Which one? Voltage. Blue. Yeah. It's a close competitor. I don't know, that live wire was pretty good back in the days of like oh, no, Halo yeah. 3. Uh-huh. That was good stuff. I don't drink good. caffeinated soda. Me neither. Yeah. So I don't drink caffeinated I'm just going to sip my, sip my tea. Back to tear my conscience for everyone. This is not soda. This is carbonated water. There you go. I can't do that. Well, we're shit. good. I tell you what, I cannot drink carbonated water. Jake has the kidney of a nine-year-old man. <laughs> I I do. So I don't drink. I try to like. I pretty much. I've almost cut out soda. Like if I get go get lunch with my dad, I'll have like a sprite or something, just because I need carbonation. But I try living dangerously. I try to. I try to keep it. I try to keep the keep it to juices and. You know, stuff like that. Says, no, it's a special occasion. I do oh, have, right. I do, I do have very bad kidneys that like to produce kidney stones whenever possible. So. Yeah, so it's not a good idea then. No, it is a horrible idea. He threw but the pain. My doctor told me I could have Sprite. So, when I, which is odd because that's almost like the most carbonated of all the sodas. <laughs> Well, it's not the carbonation; it's the sugar. For one, I don't drink caffeine because I have I, I have a heart arrhythmia, so I don't do caffeine. How I don't are you do alive? How have I you survived this long? I don't do anything that can elevate my heart rate, anything like that. I pretty much cut out caffeine. I had a scare a couple months ago that really freaked me out, so I pretty much cut out caffeine entirely. Um, and then for me, like with the kidney stones, it's sugary stuff. I used to drink, you know, a gallon of sweet tea in three days, you know, when I was in college and then I started having kidney stone problems. And first thing my doctor, first thing my doctor asked me, is like, do you drink a lot of sweet tea? And I'm like, um, Jake was getting wild in college drinking a gallon of sweet tea. No, I just, I just love sweet, I just love sweet tea. And he was like, yeah, don't you can't drink sweet tea anymore so i just try to i drink zero sugar if i drink soda it's zero sugar but i try to keep it to juices but even now most juices have way too much sugar in them so water water is my best friend it's good for you yeah even that though like this power rate i've been sipping on is a zero sugar power rate i have vodka mixed into it so <laughs> He says, you know what? My kidneys are already shot. Let's go for my liver now. Yeah. <laughs> That's some of the old fire water. Yeah. I only drink my, even my liquor. I've cut down to, you know, the lowest, the lowest amount of sugar that I can get. Kidney, liquor, liver, heart. The only thing yeah. left is lungs and brain. Hey, hey. And I say my lungs. I just quit smoking entirely. Uh, now that's so, an accomplishment there. Yeah, that's an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I smoked cigarettes for a long time and then I vaped really for I vape for about a year and a half and then I recently just quit vaping and I'm tobacco free officially for the first time in like ten years. You need to quit so, smoking nice. It's horrible yeah. for you. Yeah, as you puff your <laughs> I'm not I'm not nicotine free though. I do use nicotine like pouches that I put. I don't know if y'all have seen me like sticking little pouches, but they're tobacco free, so I don't mind. Oh, I thought you were just eating mothballs. Nope, I use uh, 
I use Zen pouches. They help me quit vaping. So I'm officially smokeless and tobaccoless for the first <laughs> time. And that's what people have to years. do now to quit. So it's like they literally just have to substitute a vice for something else. And it's hey. like the train just continues to evolve. It's one thing at a time for me. You know, I'm still getting my nicotine, but I'm tobacco free and I'm not absorbing anything into my lungs. Well, here's so like here's my confusion. Yeah. Like, yeah, cigarettes are bad for you. I'm not into them. I've never smoked one. I've had family that's been killed by them. Like, but you you give people an alternative to cigarettes in the form of vape, and then people complain about the vape. Dude, like, vaping. Well, look, like, what do you like? And then they come like now that you complain about the vape, now you're supposed to take like nicotine patches, nicotine gum, and they're like, well, you're gonna be stuck on that forever. It's like, well, what do you want me to do, man? Like. And that, but that's the thing. Like, there's if you look at a can, and have nightmares. If you look at a can of the Zen like pouches or whatever, it doesn't have any of the warnings. Like, oh, this will cause you mouth cancer. Oh, this will do that. It just says nicotine is an addictive addictive chemical. I know this. I've been addicted to nicotine for a very long time. So the fact that I am smokeless and tobaccoless for the first time in ten years, I'm gonna take it. Okay. That's good. Like, I'm going to take that. And I'm slowly weaning off the nicotine, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm happy. I ain't I'm happy. Cigars, man. You should think about it, Smitty. Everyone should be allowed to have at least one vice. Yeah. I've got reptiles, so, yeah. <laughs> Connor's <laughs> over here just all healthy and shit. Like, yeah, I don't need none of that. I just need my snakes. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Snakes are why I need my nickname. God damn it. <laughs> lizards now, too. But yeah. Oh, that's right. You have alligator yeah. lizards. I forgot about those. That. are cool as hell. Dude, those are so cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. Those are like, I've seen it because you and um, Gron. Gron and um, God, why? I do. I've been spacing on people's names so hard lately. Roy. Roy keeps the Texas alligator leaves as well, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, a handful of other people, but they're not as not as common, just because I mean they're kind of an earth town, earth town there, you know. Yeah, they're not flashy. They're not bright yellow. They're not they're a bronia. Bright, they're not bright green. You know, whatever. But dude, I I saw the one you posted the other day, and oh my god, that is they're, they're so cool, man. Yeah, they are so cool. Uh, get some yeah that'll probably have to be a conversation (laughs) for the next episode we do uh, we'll get into some uh, alligator lizards and stuff like that because obviously we gotta have you on every you know so often just to get an update because we should have like an annual connor requirement yeah no no doubt because connor like you know this is you know just whatever you're one of my favorite people in this hobby like genuinely like I really that's, that's appreciate insane. what you I, do. Uh, okay, thank you. I appreciate. It. I'm, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like young and not like. I, I don't know, man. I just I just keep what I keep, but I I'm glad that people enjoy that. So no, man, you you do what you do and you do it well, and I really respect what you do and how you do it, and it's it, it's awesome. I love following you. I love seeing what you're doing. Um, so hats off, my friend. Thank you. Yeah. William, are you on Instagram? I am. I am. Well, you are? give us give us your yeah, tag. What's your, what's your, yeah, what's Connor's your tag? like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't have any herp stuff on there, but 
It's just oh, by uh, I make replicas of prehistoric weaponry, and I have that on there. So oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, that's dope, dude. Phil would love that. Are you kidding me? Phil's yeah. Like, Phil's all about that type of stuff. Man. Phil love. Phil's a big gun guy, you know, just in general. You know, I know you say prehistoric weaponry, so I'm assuming it's not gun related, but that would that, that no. would definitely be up, be up Phil's alley. Yeah. No, That's like awesome. primitive axes, spears, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know Alan That's Newberry? Awesome. I do not. Nope. Okay. He's he's like a, a he does like bladesmithing and makes knives and oh, stuff. And he's okay. also he's a like a he's got some herbs. He's a, I think more mostly a tortoise guy, if I'm not mistaken. But he was on Forged in Fire. He like won one oh, wow. like, what? Like seventh season of that. Yeah. He makes some really nice stuff. I mean, like I've, I've some of the stuff he's posted lately, man. It's really, really good looking hardware. So, wow, nice. I'll have to hunt down his page and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, we are past the two hour, two hour mark, fellas. So, if anybody, unless we have any closing remarks, Smitty, have we covered everything that we want to? Yeah, we're good. So, where if anybody wants to contact y'all, talk coach whips, talk whatever y'all are doing, all the crazy stuff, <laughs> what's the best way to contact y'all and get information? Go ahead, Will. For me, it would be Facebook. Just type in William Huntsman, and you'll and you'll find me on there. And if you have any uh, questions related to coach whips or racers, um, anything, anything fast. A little bit vicious, has some decent color. I might be able to help you out. Nice. Uh, for, for me, uh, feel free to check me out on Instagram, Naturalist Herps. Uh, it's where you can see my, my reptile stuff, and then a um, lot of lot a lot of Facebook stuff as well. Just Connor Wardle. Uh, you can I mean in just about every Facebook group for North American colubrids that there is. So there uh, and then i've got a youtube as well where i kind of put out some some care videos for some of the more niche stuff that i've kept and then i'm keeping currently uh, just a little bit of project updates as well that's going to just be connor wardle as well uh, you can look up if you want just look up hipsy glenna and i'm probably like one of the first one or two videos talking about texas night snacks but something you're interested in and you can find my page there so awesome well thank you all so much for coming on tonight this was a yet another great episode um yeah, this was a lot of fun. But I've been looking forward to this for what a, a month and a half, two months now. Give or take. That, we, yeah. that we that it got brought up. This was probably the most planned episode we've had in a very long time. Um, so this was great. Thank y'all so much for making time to come on with your busy schedules. So thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, man. It's been a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, no, we really appreciate it, man. Well, so. if you need a rack or you need a cage, maybe you need both, you need to head over to blackboxcages.com. You need to hunt them down on Facebook and Instagram, blackboxcages. You need to use the code THN at checkout. Save yourself a little bit of money. Get yourself something nice. You won't that regret bit, it. That, that little bit adds up, man. You, right. you've, got, you've got a big order. You get 10% off. That'll, that'll save you some dough. That's right. I'll take 10% off, man. I'll take yeah, 10% off. <clears throat> And then, because all this shopping till you drop will make you hungry, 
you'll need some hot sauce for whatever you're going (laughs) to be eating. And you need to go over to stevesnatuary.com and you need to get yourself the whole lineup, the whole set of Venom hot sauce. Uh, And then depending on your mood, you can pick out whatever you're feeling and you can put it on waffles. You can put it on chicken. You can put it on ramen, I guess. I don't eat ramen, but I'd imagine that's something people would do. Um, oh, it, it definitely is. And I, we, Justin and I can tell you from experience, it makes pizza wings better. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's for sure. And then the best part of that is when you're done with the bottles, you get a cool little display thing. Because it's got a, it's got a picture of the snake on it. it says "Steve Snake's Warrior Hot Sauce." It's got a cool picture on it. Display them in your snake room. Cool little feature. You, I would like to take them and empty them and use them to grow like clippings. Dude, I was literally about to say you could grow like pothos in those things, man. Like dude, that'd be a cool be, little set to be growing clippings yeah, out of. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So. so. Hit up Steve, see everything he's doing. He's doing awesome stuff, you know. Aside from the hot sauce, he's doing, you know, um, rescues. You know, he goes out and catches snakes for people, you know, and he's taking in unwanted animals. Relocations, you know, public you know, education. Re- relocation, rehabilitation, public outreach, all the good stuff. And he's a first responder, so. Yes. I mean, come on. Always good to support those so, guys. That's right. Uh, we'll be back for Snakes and Stogies on Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, don't think we have a game plan currently. We've been really bad about not having our, our shit together lately. Well, Phil's engaged, so it's it's understandable. <clears throat> yeah. I'll, yeah, we can blame it all on him. <laughs> I was about to say, sure. you're, bu- you're a busy man, too. So it's, uh, you know. Since when do we have THP episodes actually planned out? Yeah. Just need to need to get better about it is all. Yeah. That's all it is. But thank you all. We will see you later. Have a good evening.